0: Yeah, I mean, uh, today uh, we were actually um, a lot of people in the office, uh, yeah. and uh, during Corona, it's been not completely closed, but uh, yeah, very few people there. But yeah. today, it was actually a bit of chaos because um, all the meetings rooms in our in our office was uh, was occupied. Um, so I was uh, trying to get a call in, but uh, I, I had to do it somewhere else. And and one guy, he actually had to go into the <laughs> bathroom to, <laughs> to make his call. So you, you
1: miss uh, Corona and hope for another wave perhaps <laughs> to come around soon. So you, you have um, more. Yeah, free but this is a meetings.
0: happy, happy sort of happy annoyance.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly annoying. Um, so so you are working partly from home still, or are you all coming to the office these days, or what's the current status? Well,
2: I, I mean, for, I'm just talking for myself. I have kids, so mm. and I recently got my second kid. So Corona, oh, congratulations! Great. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Corona has been pretty good to me Yeah, I'm uh, productive yeah, yeah, working from home is great mm-hmm. uh, So I'll probably continue with that But mm-hmm. I think uh, for a lot of people at Moduli, I, I think that uh, uh, working from the office is more attractive mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And why is that? Well, I mean, social uh, being able to socialize You know, uh, no. talk about things Have a whiteboard uh, uh, session and so on Learn from each other,
3: but I really, I, I really think knowledge-intensive type work—you, you thrive off each other. You, you, your, your learning curve becomes faster. You know, how, how can you really get that energy around uh, excitement around stuff if you don't meet and talk about it? We try to do it, but I think that's that's an edge, especially in this in in, in your type of company. I think.
2: No, but yeah.
3: do you have a plan ahead? You know,
1: what will you you know do post Corona? Will you have some kind of part-time office, part-time working from home, or do you have any kind of idea of you know what will be, you know, what will be the, the modus operandi in half a year?
4: I mean, we are solving problems, and uh, we don't really define like you have to be in the office and you yeah. should not be in the office. Of course, we follow the Corona restrictions, yeah. but then it's up to Uh, the people I mean how can you work together as a team to solve a problem Mm. so right now we have people working from India before they were working from Italy or Norway or wherever and we have also I mean we are working on projects in New Zealand or Finland or wherever Mm. then it doesn't really make sense but Mm. uh, of course there will be more and more office and especially our whiteboard it's not very digital but it's something that we use very much and uh, like
3: and have you had, do you have your favorite digital whiteboard out in the uh, now, we, now we're marketing uh, <laughs> I don't care.
4: No, actually I have think you found
3: one that really works for your team? Uh,
4: we haven't been using digital whiteboards very much, so I mean usually there was one person has been in the office or somewhere else and, and drawing on the on the whiteboard. so we have not really been uh, using digital whiteboards, huh.
3: Because that that has been one thing to try to figure out this co creation mode. How do you do that digitally? I think that has been quite tricky. We've been using Myro. We think that is quite good, uh, but it's a, that that has been a one. The co creation part is really hard without a whiteboard.
2: I agree, and I think Myro is has grown on me a lot. Yes, also I, I that's, that's the only important. one I have
3: really I can stand. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good, but but it's 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 a learning curve. Awesome. Well,
1: it's an honor to have you all three here. It's the first time we have a a triple
3: yeah. guest, so to speak. And now yeah. this is a proper after work, Anders. Yeah, it is. Now now exactly. actually I can I can you know talk to my wife. Did you have an after work? <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> we were
1: five. <laughs> so very welcome here, Erik Dahlberg and Magnus Isenberg and Erik Emil Larsson all um part of the i think one of the best ml consultancies in sweden if i may say so called uh, i'm not sure if i'm going to pronounce it correctly module ai or no model i i
5: you did it on purpose on <laughs> 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 can this
1: can perhaps before we go into the introduction can you just give us a brief history about the name of model i or whatever you would like to pronounce it
2: okay so uh Well, Eric, one of the co-founders, me and Joseph and uh, uh, Mm Puya, when we founded the company, we had a a session, basically, I mean, a real whiteboard session. Yeah. And we we put a lot of post notes on a whiteboard and had various very strange names for the company. Yeah. Uh, But uh, we ended up with something with module, like uh, I mean, like we were trying to modularize something. Uh, so it is a module, proper yeah, name thing. Yeah, but it was always, uh, also has mm-hmm. uh, mathematical connotations. Mm-hmm. Uh, what so was like that? The moduli, that? Uh, I, mean, the moduli I, uh, I don't remember actually, but it's uh, <laughs> something about the <laughs> module I, I mean, the moduli in, uh, uh uh of a vector, for example, that's the, that's the, uh, that, that's the length of it, right? I think. I haven't is it? heard about that. Uh, ah, there's something the, there. I, I don't. Google, we Google it. <laughs> Model I, I, I should really, really <laughs> talk to Joseph about this. Yeah, that's part of your DNA story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, um, let's go into the the history of Moduli. Is that correct? Model I? Moduli. Moduli. Yeah, moduli. I
2: yeah. say Moduli. Some other people say Moduli. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But perhaps let's start with the personal background. And Eric, if you were to start, can you give, give a, a brief introduction to who Eric is?
2: Sure. Uh, well, studied at uh, KTH. I did some like physics uh, there and did, did some business studies. But I, I was kind of torn between those two worlds. I really wanted to go into particle physics, so I spent some time at CERN searching for the Higgs boson, if you know. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, of course. I, I, the God's particle, right? The God particle. <coughs> the God particle. And yeah. I was actually, I was so fortunate because when I did my master thesis, they discovered it. So, so I was at CERN at the time. You said we were. No, I, I was, uh, <laughs> I, I was uh, like down, down here in the right. hierarchy. So, so I was, I was not contributing at all. But I applied some like uh, machine learning methods to try to to find it, find it in data from from the Large Hadron Collider. Uh, and, and
1: I think you know, physics is, is a hobby interest of mine as well. But, but still, if you were to try in Uh, let's say, in a a natural language, describe what the Higgs boson is. Uh, How how would you describe it?
2: It's one of the fundamental particles in the Standard model, which is the model which is adopted by uh, the physics community at this point in time. Mm -hmm. So
1: and one of the biggest discoveries, right? In recent. Absolutely. It was the remaining
2: piece of the puzzle. Uh, Mm -hmm. All the other uh, particles were already discovered. experimentally ver- verified and this particle was not experimentally verified so it was the last verification of standard so you had a
1: theory that basically predicted that this particle should exist but they couldn't experimentally uh, show it until very rec- recently
2: right yes and it was a uh, very big reason for why they built the large Hadron collider was to be able to collect enough data to be able to show that it actually exists
1: and the um, ELI uh, is uh, C, I guess. Um, is like a multi-billion-dollar project, right? With many yes. countries working together to
3: try to to solve that, right?
2: Yeah, it's uh, amazing.
3: The pictures you see, like some of these aerial sh- photos of the CERN facility, is quite impressive. It's like something out of a Bond movie or something. I don't know. It's yeah, it's, it's
2: f- huge. Quite an amazing place uh, to visit. I, I think that uh, it was. I, I, I can tell you some, inter- some something interesting about it, if you want to, yeah, before please. we get into the machine learning. Well, so, uh, it's, like, um, I mean, it's o- obviously like a world of, uh, it, a lot of security around it, and it, but it's a pretty large area, if you haven't been there. Have you been there, by the way? No, no. No, I haven't. It's so, so, no, no, no. no, sorry. So, uh, uh, and the, the large hadron collider is underground. Mm-hmm. Um but there are a lot of buildings. So I, when I was down there, I asked someone, my supervisor at the time, and I said, why, why are there so many buildings? I mean, mm-hmm. some of them seem completely deserted. Uh, well, and he told me, I don't know if this is true because I haven't verified it, but that uh, the reason why a lot of those buildings are abandoned basically mm-hmm. is because they belong to like old projects and that they aren't being maintained because the countries that contribute mm-hmm. to CERN want to want to contribute to the new, cool, like, physics. So they build a new building if they want to do something new. <laughs> and yeah. the maintenance of the old ones is just completely forgotten. So yeah. you have, like, all this history of old buildings there with old physics projects, things standing around. It like,
3: sounds like the strip of Las Vegas. You need yeah. to be the coolest <laughs> casino in town. So you need to rebuild it and put, tear it down. You, <laughs> If you want to be part of the cutting edge.
2: Yeah, exactly. So you build a new building... Uh, do some cool experiments, but now everybody was focused on that large hydrogen collider and those experiments there. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, but that, 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 that's the core of my kind of, that, that that was the my big interest, and then I got into machine learning, because so I, I Was, was I, that
1: during your master's, or was the machine, the machine learning interest, did, did it came come later, or how did you get interested in machine learning?
2: Well, uh, I was actually kind of, I, I, I knew a guy that was very, uh, that is a that, that was working as a recruiter for Klarna in 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, uh, so I started working there uh, as an intern and, and starting to, to apply like very basic, I mean, modeling methods to the credit problem, mm-hmm. which was, uh, I mean, credit risk problem. So risk analysis def- or credit, yeah, credit scoring? Or yeah. Credit scoring, basically. Credit underwriting, credit scoring. Yeah, exactly. And that was the first like time that, uh, they applied statistical methods to to and this them. is back in 2010, 10, yeah. Yeah. 11, yeah, and then okay. that grew obviously because that became a big uh, part of Klarna's core, core. core I yeah, know. so so I stayed like there until like uh, at the end of 2017. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's wait with the module, module I
1: <laughs> 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 introduction. Um, but cool. So you stayed a lot, and it seems like a, a large number of you come from Klarna for some reason. Um, That would be interesting to hear why, but I have some other stories at this. No, let's skip that. Cool. Thank you, Erik. Um, And let's move to Magnus Isenberg. And um, yeah, how would you describe your background? Who who is Magnus?
4: Yeah, so basically I'm a very simple person. (laughs) I like to solve uh, problems. And um, I mean, at university, I was studying both business and uh, data. Mm -hmm. Uh, they were calling it Datavetare uh, or informatics or something yeah. at that time. And um, I started in 2004 to uh, try to understand. I was working with uh, one of the large retailers here in the, in the Nordics, trying to figure out uh, what people were saying and the, what they were actually doing. Yeah. And At that time, we were applying a lot of machine learning, not... Yes, to this problem, but normal like churn models, uh, up-sale, cross-sale and this kind of stuff and uh, large-scale A-B testing. Mm-hmm. So in 2004, I thought that was normal to do everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, wow, this is really, really fun to work with. Oops. But wait, <laughs> I, I, I'm not competent myself to put anything into production. So since 2004, I've been working with machine learning and advanced analytics. Mm. Uh, and my specialty is to define the problems and how the solutions will be used and also to support, uh, the teams. Mm. So basically I'm the only one that is not with a physics or math uh, background in that model I. and I'm but supporting I you're, the you're rest the one, of the
1: people. You're the one with the coolest title, I think right in
4: model I. as director of dream realization <laughs> i think the idea <laughs> that it. a good one. That is a good one <laughs> it's not just about dreams but it's just like people are talking about why do you succeed or not with with machine learning and there's a lot of excuses yeah. i think that the most important factor is always what do you want to do mm. and are you really convinced that you want to do this yeah. And Then you can do it, and so, so that's basically what I'm trying to help um, our own team or clients to find out: what do we really want to do, and do we really want to do it? Right. But and, th-
3: and this is one of those uh, park it and put it on the on the list because we we can talk about you know what is the real problem is yeah. is machine learning a tech problem? Right? Is it really a tech problem today with, with with the expertise we have around us? Why you know normal enterprises is not getting ahead of in ai no 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 it's something else right it's the people it's a uh, translating from business to t- analytics problem to data problem and then you know visualizing you know from what you know let's not go there now but let's park mm-hmm. that one i fully agree with you what's the title again what's the sh- how do you shorten that head of dream hdr
5: <laughs> <laughs> ddr 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 Yeah,
4: I'm not using it all the time, but it's on LinkedIn at least.
3: Yeah, and that is cool. We really like it.
4: Awesome. And Emil, welcome here.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Who who is Emil? Uh, Yeah, so like uh, Erik, Josef and and Koya, uh, my background is in in physics. Mm -hmm. So I studied engineering physics in Uppsala. And um, yeah, I don't know exactly when I started getting into that, but I, I got into more of the computational side. So yeah. computational physics and uh, and uh, those type of, of courses. So um, you're
1: into machine learning already back in your um, university studies?
0: Days? Yeah, so it, it began when I did my um, I did an exchange here in Vancouver. I went to University of British Columbia and, uh-huh. and I took a course there in machine learning um, with this amazing lecturer, uh, Nando de Friertas or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's, um, yeah, so I think he's actually at DeepMind now, I'm not oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that course was uh, really, really good. Um, and I think I already then like, knew that, yeah, this is probably what I want to mm-hmm. like, go into and focus. Mm-hmm. So when coming back from that year, uh, I started looking for master thesis um, placements. And, um, yeah, ended up at, at Klarna uh, with, uh, with Eric and, and Josef as my supervisors. Yeah. So that's how so, you know, we started um, our sort of journey together. Um, so your master thesis was connected to a problem at Klarna. Yeah, what was it? Very vaguely, I would say. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was uh, it was kind of interesting. So this was in 2012. We we started discussing this. Um, so before this whole deep learning uh, you know, era. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, the, the idea was to use restricted Boltzmann machines. So this is a, <laughs> it <was> an interesting <laughs> really? yeah, the topic, but to uh, to sort of um, use that on, on credit uh, scoring um, and see if we can, not actually doing the, ac- the, the, the credit scoring uh, by itself using those, but to find like interesting features that you can introduce into um, the existing models. Yeah, um, yeah, so that was an interesting topic, very sort of... Uh, a bit out there. Uh, <laughs> I think mm-hmm. Joseph has had read some some interesting papers. Uh, so
3: I have this crazy idea. What if we do this for this problem? Exactly, and that's why
0: Co- you bring in master thesis students, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's cheap exporters. for free. Yeah. Oh, so you
3: never know, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. No, I mean it was um, uh, it was not put into production, but <laughs> <laughs> I think it gave some uh, some interesting. And idea. Joseph
1: is Joseph is is one of the founders as well, right? Right. So, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, then I started working at Klona as well. So we all worked there at the same time. So that's all yeah. we sort of got to know each other more. Um, and when I heard that they were starting this company, I quickly jumped on that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
1: What did you work with mainly at uh, Klona?
0: Yeah, so I wasn't uh, in the team of, of like uh, credit risk and credit scoring. So I worked closely to that, but it was more sort of on the uh, like... <laughs> Product uh, more towards the sort of front end of things. Mm. So, like, how can you use machine learning to to customize the checkout experience? So they cool. launched this uh, plan a checkout that was um, like basically a really smooth way to to um, yeah I- improve conversion basically on on um, uh, you know, checkouts for. Mm. Different so basically, merchants. the problem
3: is that people are almost checking out, but in the end, they don't make the purchase. So how can we make that smoother and have a higher conversion
0: exactly so the idea was basically to to we know uh, usually like your previous purchases and so on and then we can customize the checkout. yeah we pre-populate and, and uh, customize the checkout experience for for different uh, yeah people and different uh, sort of use cases maybe if you i don't know buy a, a really expensive sofa then maybe you want to um, use one type of, of payment option uh, but if you buy something else you want something else
1: mm. awesome and uh, let's get into Modulai module <laughs> I have a really hard time saying that I think it's <laughs> <but> the super <laughs> simplest
3: and best name ever <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know.
1: but before that I mean since you both at least have experience from Klarna it would be fun to just hear perhaps some pros and cons of Klarna as a company if you'd like to mention a, a few pros and cons
2: okay I can uh, start <laughs> uh, pros uh, very very driven organization yeah? super super um, Super focused, yeah. Um, and uh, in my opinion, I mean, different people have different opinions about Sebastian shimatkovsky the, mm. the CEO. But in my opinion, he's a very inspiring uh, leader. Uh, it sounds a bit weird, but but a uh, very very inspiring leader. And and uh, 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 Klarna is almost like a. Um, I mean that. Uh, it, it, a cult in the kind of positive sense of the word, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah.
3: <laughs> what do you mean? Like the, the community, the feeling, the, the Klarna? Yeah, yeah. The Klarna. we're doing
2: this together. We're going to take over the world. Like yeah, aim for the stars kind of mentality. I mean, it is a, one of the Swedish yeah, yeah. superstars for I think sure. It's I mean, super, it's a, we
3: we are really are in wonder of the superstar Klarna yeah. on, on a global scale.
2: Yeah, and you are when you were working there too. I mean, and yeah. it's a nice feeling to kind of work on, those, on the negative th- side I, I would say that things were done at, i mean I, I i worked there until the end of 2017 so i don't know how relevant that is mm-hmm. anymore but it was a, it was a shooting from the hip culture like oh. uh like finish things really really fast and like a lot of pressure on with deadlines and so on like uh, trying to get as much Squeeze as much mm-hmm. out of people as possible in the shortest amount of time. Maybe, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of connected to the first. Uh, uh, but it, but that, that's
3: the downside. If if you have a driven company, yeah. it t- kinds to push the pressure up a little bit. So you c- it's a little bit like uh, well it's the other side of the same coin. It or is the other side. You could try same. to do you know do it in a utopian way, but tricky.
2: Yeah, yeah, but uh, I mean, I remember conversations where. You, you said that something would take maybe three weeks to finish and somebody mm-hmm. said, well, you have one week. <laughs> <laughs> classic. <laughs> Sounds like Elon Musk, Musk Classic, classic, classic. You know, things like that. Uh,
3: is that Swedish or that to me is something... I, I mean, like, if you look at different cultures or different, you know... Maybe that's, that has nothing to do with, but it's un-Swedish almost.
2: Well, so we had... um Various uh, uh, CROs, like leaders of the risk organizations, uh, and they came from Israel, mm. the United States, South Africa, yeah, yeah. And, so, so so and Sweden. So so it was uh, a bit different uh, leadership style.
3: But it, but it means Klarna already, even if it's a Swedish-founded company, when when it goes so big, it starts to become a you know a global player, and then you have global talent, and then you have a global culture and so the drivenness comes from many different cultures where that kind of attitude is quite common i guess
2: absolutely yeah
3: yeah awesome would you agree Emil or
1: yeah i mean uh,
0: yeah and i i don't know maybe from what i've heard that it was even more sort of driven like that before i joined and like you 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 were there a lot uh, but earlier so i don't know would you would you say that it trended uh, to be more relaxed over time or was it, uh it it became more structured and thus more relaxed and
2: more productive mm. but uh, in the beginning i one one of my one of my colleagues he was working maybe you know 8 or 10 weeks in a row when he started without any weekends you know oh really uh, yeah that that was the start like uh, and and i was working like between 9 in the morning and and 12 o'clock at night almost daily for a long time uh so so we had a lot of <laughs> but, it, but it was a fun time like we fun had a time real, but high pressure yeah pressure cooker. the dog years <laughs> cool
1: yeah. cool well should we move into module module i so, but actually <laughs> um,
3: before we go into module I, what's the personal connection between the three of you or how did your do you do you remember when you first met each other could can you place that if that was in klarna or where was it when did you guys first lay hands uh, eyes on each other so to speak
0: yeah so me and eric we we met each other 2012 yeah when i was interviewing for my master thesis yeah you had eric as one of your supervisors and i I remember that meeting very clearly because i i i I think because i I did it with with a friend of mine um and we were in this meeting we were like so obviously super nervous um you know we always with the um jacket on the uh, suit so jacket on because <laughs> we were meeting a serious company you know you have to represent <laughs> to it. Um, and uh, i seem I, I remember going away from that meeting and being like oh we really we, we, we bombed that we one. Bombed. yeah that was <laughs> terrible <laughs> i don't remember exactly what the problem was but so we you, had, you were a student
3: you know yeah. at this cool company i want to do my master's thesis here yeah so and I we imagine. were
0: asked to i think i think it was like can you you know describe um, base theory or something like that I, I uh, right. yeah, and yeah the, you, it was you, terrible you
3: gave him a bad you know let's try him out I yeah
0: like it. so we were all, <laughs> almost already calling in the next company on the list um, but uh, yeah so that's how we met each other um and uh, apparently i didn't do too too bad, too bad. <laughs> so now he's actually hired me like twice yeah uh,
3: mm. right. oh, same mistake twice
0: yeah <laughs> not a mistake no Awesome.
1: But okay, so you were work, working at uh, Klarna, Eric, and um, at some point you, you got thinking of Moduli. How, how did that happen, or what was your thinking?
2: Well, uh, so we had, we had been, uh, I, I really wanted to kind of create something inspired by was it, uh, some friends of mine that started companies, but also by Klarna, and, and uh, I had some discussions. You know, when you like talk to people, random people about like business ideas for ages and nothing really happens Mm -hmm. nothing really happens we had those kind of moments Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, but then when i and puya started talking things really started to happen and and, uh, we we weren't sure if we're going to create a product or do something else and then joseph jumped on the train and then we really figure out that our common passion is machine learning we really Mm want to uh, you know, create an environment where we Didn't do
1: much machine learning or? Sorry. Didn't Klarna do a lot of machine learning at that time or was it hard to? Well, I, hard? I was
2: stuck in like, uh, you know, I had some R&D projects, but <laughs> I was like the um, um, lead for uh, credit. Uh, and right. it, it, it was a lot of admin and a team like managing the teams and mm-hmm. one-on-ones and um, was more big company it was it was already
3: Clarin is already get becoming an enterprise in, in that sense that you need to take on roles that is not only passionate about absolutely your, your machine learning you You need to be away. a boss as well
2: yeah I tried to stay away from being be, becoming a, a manager for a long long time and I my official title was never manager but I had uh, like uh, ad- administrative a lot mm-hmm. of administrative responsibilities at, mm-hmm. in the end uh, and I really want to get back into coding and 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 uh, Continuing with machine learning and, and that was the common dominom- denominator for all of us uh, so
3: so what, do you remember the sort of uh, conceptual the first workshops you, had, we, we, you said something how you were brainstorming your your name and stuff like that? Do you remember that part how, how, did, how did that go about
2: Well we just uh, met in Puya's partner and uh, <laughs> talked about what <laughs> to call the company like we put some post-its on a wall and and uh
3: um, and who is it Puya, yourself yourself uh, exactly. yeah
2: yeah and and then uh, then we uh, uh, we were actually fully uh fully co- or what do you say like we had full uh, coverage from with projects from day one We okay. okay. said so let's start the first of april uh, 2008. So how do we find the initial customers they found us some strange ways. Really? So you started yeah. a company first, and then. But how the
3: fuck wh- do they found you when yeah. they haven't even
2: started? That's one a good tried one. To do, one. I want to learn that one. Yeah, one tried to recruit uh, uh, me, and, and then I, I just uh, switch around and say, "Well, can we do it as project instead?" And oh, another, cool. one, uh, um, another one, another uh, one. Oh, that, that was actually two projects that came oh, that, that way. way, and then we had. Uh, an ongoing project that was because he had freelanced some before mm. and and uh, he also quickly found a very uh, a project with one of his contacts too mm. that's, that's so then you then you start
3: cash flow positive so you start this company and you basically you have a small clientele of you know in different ways okay we have a portfolio here to start working on to do consulting i guess solving their problems
5: yeah
2: perfect Exactly.
3: Do you remember the first machine learning problem you had in moduli? It
2: was a recommender system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. That's
1: another good topic of discussion. I think to
2: discuss.
1: (laughs) But still, how did it start? I mean, did you do it on the side to begin with, or was it you you just quit in Klarna and and just you know hoped for the best and and went for it? Or yeah, basically.
2: Yeah. Cool. I mean, Puya had a smoothest transition because he. He uh, was already freelancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Joseph quit, and oh. I I had uh, I quit, and then I had a couple of months off. And mm-hmm. Spent a month in Portugal, uh, and then we started coming.
5: Oh,
1: nice!
3: And This is 2008, right? Eighteen. 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 Eight. Yes, I thought you said eight no, before, no. No. because that would have been a very early machine learning company. In eight. <laughs> <laughs> I was super impressed there for two minutes. Well, that
2: would have been. <laughs> Really impressive mm. and hard. Yeah, uh, very hard. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay, so so you got
1: started. You're you three, I guess, in the beginning. Were, yeah.
2: were you all three there from the start? Or well, yeah, yeah, we started from the uh, April, but Emil came in very, very early. Uh, I mean, I've, uh, he contacted us like a few months in. You, you sniffed it out and say, "Hey, and man, I want to be part." And then of then of we this. just yeah. said yes, <laughs> of course. And we had ah. some some uh, sparkling wine. Right.
0: (laughs) But I remember actually at some point you were like, whoa, uh, this was a bit earlier recruiting than we anticipated. Like you weren't actually looking for people at that point. But then, like, uh, yeah, I I managed to convince you. Or I I think we convinced each other. (laughs) We did.
5: Yeah,
3: the sparkling wine probably helped. Yeah. Taking away the risk uh, aversion.
1: But thinking, you know, if other people are listening right now and they have the same thoughts, you know, they, they may not be super happy with the current employment and, and they want to start some, you know, new company on their own. Is there any specific advice you would like to give them? I mean, it sounds like you had a very smooth ride. And I think you know, it is very, very few that can do that. But, but still, you know, for anyone that is listening and say, I want to do that as well, what, what, uh, you know, what kind of learnings could you offer them, you in getting started with their own company. Please.
4: It's Magnus here. I think <laughs> the best advice is just to quit your old job. Mm. And that's what I did. I just quit my job. And then I was thinking, oh, wow, I would like to do something with machine learning. I think it's a great opportunity here. And then I was asking people about that. I know from before, yeah. what's the best people that you know in machine learning. Then I went to them and I talked to them and then I went to the next, the next, the next, and I uh, went to Georgia, met, met some interesting companies there. I really? went to Finland. I went to other countries, but mostly in Sweden. And then I met uh, Erik here at uh, Central Stationa, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, by recommendation. Then said, wow. This is the team I would like to, to work together with. Mm-hmm. So, but, but the thing is, if you don't just say like I want to do this, it will never happen. So, so, so your journey was
3: a little bit. You were in, you were in one place. Which which company were you in at when you decided this? I, I I need to do my own thing.
4: So basically, I was uh, running a company called Big Data Pump. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, yes, that was a data science machine learning company that was big maybe seven years ago, something like that. And I was running the operations in in Sweden. Mm. And then we got bought by one of the large players.
3: Yes, remember this uh,
4: CGI. Uh, and then I thought, wow, they, they have uh, a lot of great stuff in this company, but uh, it's not the I, same. I would like to really be hyper focused on machine learning, and I would like to work with a small team. And then, that, um, then I thought, I need to find something new.
3: And and the, and so the core advice here is a little bit like take the plunge, take like, you know, you know, and, and okay. So that's how do you convince yourself that, that there is, you know, that you're willing to take the risk? I mean, like I have three kids. Yeah. I I don't know what your situation is. So, so how did you work it out in your mind that it was worth to take the risk? Because I think a lot of people, myself included, who's been, who's done. This is a little bit like you justify why you're staying in one way, and then you're justifying why you're leaving in another way. You need to make that mental shift. How was your mental shift or how were you thinking or, what, what, or on this?
4: Yeah, first, I mean, I'm not changing jobs very often. So when I start something, I'm very loyal. Mm-hmm. So, but then when I, I decided, it's like, I have a good life. Uh, I don't need all the money and I'm looking for something that is fun mm-hmm. and it's a great opportunity. So... Um, so uh, I mean, there's a lot of hindrance that you put to yourself. It's exactly. Like, okay, I have to, that's what I meant, to, to right? work here. I need to know what is happening. And so sometimes it's just a very refreshing uh, not to know and say like, okay, I have three months to find out. The worst that can happen is that I get consultants and some enterprise and doing some analytics thing. And is that uh, the worst I, that can happen? No, no, that, that, <laughs> that's what I mean. That is not a very, if you have been in this space for a while, I mean, what's the worst thing that that will happen? You will probably not die or starve, Uh, you will find something new.
3: But because I think this is the point, like the biggest blocker, why you're not stopping or why you're not doing it is your mental barriers in different ways and how you break them down. One way is to think about, well, I want to do this. I want to really give that a try and I will really regret it if I grow old and I never tried. So, so then you, or then you're super keen on the positive side. But you still might have this sort of anxiety, wow, there's so much risk in this. So then another option, what you said here is at the same time as you're pumping yourself up, what is the worst that could happen? To simply ask you that question. So I try this now and it might be fantastic. What if that doesn't work? What is my plan B? What will happen then? And if you can realize that actually even plan B is not that, you know, I will survive all of a sudden the mental map has changed. I think that's how I, I'm really talking about myself now, by the way, <laughs> how, how I reasoned around this kind of topic.
5: Yeah.
1: Gordon is just showing a list here <coughs> of um, Swedish startup companies and i is, is there as well, together with a number of other companies. But it's uh, it's impressive that, that you in such a short period of time has been able to make a stamp, so to speak, in The Swedish landscape of AI startups so what do you think you know I mean you have grown of course and you become really successful but why do you think that is do you think it's about people do you think about it's about the network is it about what's the reason what's the success you think about you know why moduli worked
2: well I I think there's one factor (laughs) that kind of rules them all and that's the fact that we really like what we're doing Mm, passion. Uh, yeah. I mean I, I I passion is a is a bit of a buzzword, but uh but yes, we, we really like what we're doing. Uh we really like to learn about this field. It's not like we uh you know doing something because we saw an industry demand and uh let's say selling screws or mm. uh you know uh yeah, doing something uh, it it's it's really a deep passion for us. And it's, it's not about only the results, it's the mathematics. Mm. It's the depth in machine learning that we really like, so. Yeah. But still, it's also about, you know, you have to
1: find the right customers. You have to find a way to also, you know, produce results that makes the customers happy. Yeah. And you have to, I guess, make a selection on, you know, what type of product you take on, etc. Right, and. Or, or, or has that just been organic and you just you know or do you have some kind of method
2: of you know yeah, to choose we, to work with? or Yeah, absolutely. we do. Uh, and we're, I mean we, we're very keen to keep our integrity in terms of what uh. we do uh, both ethically, uh, in terms of you know, what industries we're working with and also when it comes to uh, the technological like aspects we don't take on projects where machine learning is not a component like mm-hmm. we would don't do just you know data pipelining or um, analysis or things like that like I'm
1: thinking about Robert uh, Luciani's um, um, uh, video or music video. You know, the biggest, the best. In that. I don't do data cleaning.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we do that. We we do data cleaning, but in the so we build end-to-end systems, right? And the yes. data cleaning is always a part of it. But we want there to be a, a fundamental machine learning component. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, makes a lot of sense. Okay, so. You got a number of projects
1: in the beginning, and uh, it basically were through networks or people that tried to recruit you, etc. Yeah, Um, but then it grew somehow. It grew somehow. Uh,
2: Did you do any marketing, or how did you actually grow the company after that point? So uh, that that leads me to Magnus, because that was the fourth, or the fifth person that came on board. Yeah, and and we had this meeting at the central station because yeah. we realized during the the autumn of uh, 2018 that we can't do all these projects and do the commercial things at the same time, right. and we can't, and we, we were not. I mean, uh, it's not really our you know passion. And then we uh, we got connected, and I think we had this meeting, and we clicked directly. Mm. Uh, and, and Magnus had a great experience with building a team too, which we didn't, obviously. I mean, building a team, yeah. That's I, a I mean, we built teams like at and other companies, but not, you know, building from um, a big team.
1: So, Magnus, over to you then. I mean, what's your secret sauce, so to speak? How do you grow a company? Easy question.
4: Yeah, <laughs> how do you grow a company? <laughs> I, I don't think it's so much about growing the company, I think it's more about passion, also. To say mm-hmm. that, I mean, people see me now, you say, Okay, this commercial guy is uh, selling, but uh, for me, it was just, uh, I mean, in a way I needed to explain to people that there's an opportunity and uh, we need to solve it. Mm-hmm. So, I was a consultant like 10 years ago. And I was always like trying to find problems and propose solutions. Sounds very like basic, but for me, I was never thinking of myself like, like a salesperson. Mm-hmm. So if you have a passion to look for those problems and say, "Wow, we can solve this. We can do this," I mean that I think is is very important for getting a new, interesting projects. And for me, it has all, all not been about like building growth or just get a volume. We are having um, a system that we call a dream list to say like what kind of problems would you like to work with? Like to of dreams are, again? So that's, that's yeah, right. yeah, but it's important. Like, and it can be a nerdy stuff. Like, I would like to work with reinforcement learning. I would like to. It can be this kind of things, but mm-hmm. it can also be like we would like to work with. Uh, Uh, precision medicine. We would Mm. like to help people with chronic diseases. How Mm. can we do this? I mean, this is the opportunity company. So everything starts like what's our passion? How can we do? So I think uh, to look for the passion instead of oh, there's a potential to grow with machine learning in fintech Uh, is driven by passion and then also to make sure that we always work as a team and also learn uh, each other stuff and we experience things together. So it's not, how much big is more the team now? We are about, uh, 15 people 15, and yeah. we What's have some balance.
3: What's the profile of the 15? What's the the, the, the
4: profile is very biased. We have one director of dream realization <laughs> and then we have machine learning engineers. So in, in our team, I mean, everyone is a machine learning okay. engineer and, uh, mm-hmm. everyone should be able to do everything. From uh, defining the first like meeting, um, the first client or product owner, to have a fully working system in production. Of course, this takes years to to learn. But the idea is that everyone should know everything, but no one should really do the work uh, alone. Mm. So th- that's the way we. So we're you doing want it.
3: the team, the vision, and one. Of, this is part of your culture, I guess, is that we have a fundamental understanding from idea to production around machine learning and we should be able to literally master the whole chain. Then, then we all know it's hard to be a master of everything that goes into that problem. But in the passion, the vision is that this is how we develop our people. Is that fair? Is that a fair summary?
5: Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's very fair. And why, why do you think like that? Why do you think that is important?
2: Why is it important? Well, um, it's like asking okay this is this is going to sound very snobbish but I I so <laughs> do it I, I, do it we can take This it. is like asking like an artist why he paints or she paints <laughs> like like why do you why do you create music why do you why do you do anything in the end like I mean why do you is uh, so so I mean we we really we like what we do I mean I love coding I love putting my headphones on and like yeah, code away No but uh, I, but the point is
3: that you, you I think it's quite I'm not sure if it's unique, but I think it's quite clear in your mission statement uh, around your people, we should be able to take as a person to master machine learning, the mastery around that is from idea and conceptual idea to, you know, exploration, uh, and then from modeling to validation and from validation to deployment. And here we are going, you know, from data scientist stuff to, you know, machine ops stuff. And that is, you know, you see almost a trend now that the data scientist role has starting to get these sub titles, right? Are you an AI engineer? Are you an MLOps engineer? No, I'm a data scientist working with advanced analytics. So we're using machine learning, but we we are not mastering the whole value chain from idea to production. And I think that is, mastery is quite cool if, if that's your idea, you know, because it's hard, right? Then, then it's really hard.
2: That, that's the idea. Yeah, that's the idea. <laughs>
3: Cool. Just to end the topic about
1: you know what the secret sauce, so to speak, about Moduli is, um, perhaps the question could be, what's the USB? What's the unique selling point? You know of Moduli? Why should a company contact you and ask for your help?
4: Yeah, I think it's very simple. I mean, we solve problems, and uh, for us, a problem is solved when it's solved in reality. We don't talk about. We do AI. We, we solve problems. And very seldom people are talking, oh, we are interested in AI. Mm. They are interested in saying, like, okay, how can we see if a person will uh, feel uh, ill from atrial uh, fibrosis or from diabetes or something? Right. So that's the way we do it. And so this is very important for us. We have been doing research in diabetes for a long time. Mm. And for us, it would be a very high value if we can see what patient that will have uh, critical conditions before they get it. And they say, wow, let's, let's see if we can help you. And then, then we do it and we put it into production. So, uh, I mean, it's like asking also Zlatan, like, okay, what's the, you play football. Everyone play football, but I mean, it's the very simple things that, like, what are you doing? That is so special. Mm-hmm. It's just, we are playing football. We are doing machine learning, but for us, it's like we are solving the real problem. But well, do you have
1: we, any preferences and types of like domains or type of problems, type of data, type
4: of indus, 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 industrial sectors yeah. or something that you prefer? Yeah, of course. I mean, fintech, we are extremely strong because of the yeah. background in, in fintech. So we work yeah. a lot in fintech. Recently, we like have Like related kind of problems. Klarna-related. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we have been working extremely, I mean, a lot in personalization. I mean, personalization yeah. is everywhere, but... In, in retail and, and fintech. Like recommend, and so recommended systems or? What? Recommended system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, recently we have been uh, moving more and more into health mm-hmm. to look for medical time series mm-hmm. for in cardiology and uh, diabetes. And uh, this is really a product that we think is super meaningful and also quite hard very often. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this is area that we are expanding right now. And then uh, we are also working in, in gaming, like uh, gaming. looking at video streams in Counter-Strike or uh, Fortnite and so on. But that's just because we started with that and then other people got interested and we're getting doing more and more of that kind of stuff.
2: Not not casino gaming, but- No, 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 Gaming, no.
4: gaming like uh, Counter-Strike or Fortnite and this kind of stuff. Can you just, I didn't understand that. What, what do you so mean? B- basically if you are playing a, a game, if yep. you're in a tournament, something is happening. Yep. On the screen, maybe you see different icons flying by, you have different uh, yeah, things happening on the screen. So basically, we use computer vision. Maybe Eric will talk about this with synthetic data and so later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, we are analyzing video streams yeah. uh, from games and from the data that we are uh, collecting. To, to What
1: problem are you solving?
4: Then? You can do different things with those. For example, you can improve. Uh, how uh, gamers uh, I mean you can I mean this is a serious sport for uh, a lot of, of people yeah. so you can help them to improve to give them feedback you get uh, much more data and say oh Anders if you would like to be better uh, consider doing like this and that or uh, consider to challenge this person and so on we, we cannot really so can watch uh, the
1: gamer as he plays and then give recommendations for how sh- yeah, he or she but should improve? Or? Yeah,
4: you can use this for different purposes, and there's a number of different startups. Uh, but you don't uh, want to really
3: yourself. talk about this no. full, fully right now. This is a little bit secretive, I think.
4: No. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things. It's a cool idea that, a, that
3: needs to be kept a little bit.
4: It's a lot of interesting things happening in this space right now. Mm put awesome. that to the list of topics gaming,
1: gaming. didn't want to speak about that <laughs> no, I'm, jo- <laughs> I'm
5: joking I'm joking yeah. <laughs> okay. but I'm
3: so there is so many topics that is so worthy of an after work mm. you know uh, of an of an ai after work so uh, you know and i'm expecting energy shouting mm-hmm. we are talking in the mouth uh, of each other so it, we need to find those topics yeah uh, both uh, that we also with Argue around, maybe I don't know. Oh yeah, we should find something that we because now we have some. We have we can have we can have five uh, different views on the same topic. What would that be?
2: How about the data topic? The data mean?
3: topic. L- let's start very. Let's start with the building blocks of machine learning. Right.
2: right. You mean a synthetic data kind of thing, right? or anything? Synthetic it? data, or sorry, yeah, uh, uh, okay, so frame it. synthetic data. Uh, uh, okay, framing. So, in my opinion, uh, to be. I think that a lot of the time in the real world, uh, and and I, I think that this is not too controversial, but. Data is much more important than the network architecture. Yeah, and that's so Andrew, Ng kind Ooh, of, yeah. Andrew data opinion, So let's com-
3: let's go with uh, Andrew Eng's comment, and and it's so funny. Everybody's been talking about data and data governance for Data-centric, years. Data-centric. Data-centric, but it's a little bit like Andrew Eng is the god. So when he makes a tweet on this, oh yeah, it's so true. And I I have so many comments from in in my network, which is actually more data like i've been saying this for years and now <laughs> the god said it and now everybody listens so let's go on that
5: well
2: yeah so do you want to make you want me to make my case yes or, okay okay so so my case is basically uh from okay let's take the cre- case of uh credit decisioning to just mm. because that's mm. my uh, yeah. on my background you always have an inherent bias in those data sets, right? I mean, you, you have something called reject bias because you reject a part of the population, so you always see like a, a skewed uh, version of the truth in the end. Um, uh, and, and obviously, if you just apply just a neural network architecture on that data straight up, you are got to end up with a model that can do very weird things. And that's, in my opinion uh some some people tend to think that uh, you can do um, like w- automatic machine learning on that and and end up with good results. I've seen a totally different side of it where you you basically end up accepting people that have really, really bad credit history because they weren't accepted before. Uh, and the ones that were accepted they were really great in other, uh, from other um, points of view. Uh, and 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 that kind of creates a bu- very big bias, and I, I see those that bias in a lot of data that we see, mm-hmm. uh, um, and not not as strong, but uh, be, being able to uh, generate data that is representative of your application, and um, or gather data that is representative of your application is super important, important. more important than. So, so the
3: case is here, like, how do we invest and how do we spend our time in order to get to a better result? How much do we t- tune the algorithm? How do we, and how much do we really work on as, as representative data sets as possible?
2: Bottom yeah. line. Yeah, like should, uh, in, uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, like, yeah. generally what people should do. No, but, but, that's but the, <laughs> that's the,
3: the, the, the case is a little bit like, please don't forget the, uh, w- the other side of the coin, so yes, to speak. Yes, exactly.
2: A lot of value can be derived from uh, structuring uh, you know normalizing cleaning your data and making sure that it's representative so the
3: boring stuff
2: has a lot of value absolutely absolutely
1: but you said something else which i think is even more interesting that cleaning data and normalizing the data and trying to do proper data pre-processing is of course important Um, i think we can all agree on that but then if you actually use synthetic data that's another question so can you please elaborate a bit more, you know, what are you meaning when you say you should use synthetic data? Uh, uh, sorry,
3: what is synthetic data?
2: Uh, uh, it's it's data that's generated by some process, I mean, that you create, right? So so uh, if you want to, for example, create a, a computer vision system that uh, recognizes uh, cars, you can pick out like a... Uh, lot of in images let's say you can you can uh, one way of doing that would be to generate synthetic data would be to just take a lot of different backgrounds images and then put cars in them mm. uh, and, and then that's that's like also data augmentation in some way that right? is a bit, uh, but yeah, isn't but
3: synthetic data that you're creating more and more data I mean like you have a sample of which is very small that is real data, and out of that you can sort of extrapolate uh, synthetically so you have a lot more data in order to make machine learning happen and stuff Oh, like that. Yeah,
2: you can do that. Yeah, right. But
3: that's not what you mean, or is it? Is it data augmentation that you
1: mean, or is it truly synthetic data, generating data from scratch in some way? Okay, uh,
2: well, I, I, I might uh, use the wrong uh, terminology here. I'm sorry mm-hmm. about that. Maybe I need, uh, I, I'm I using uh, data augmentation here. Okay. But it's a, so, But I
0: think ML has a very good... Uh, Point on this? No, but yeah, I'm not sure if I use the right terms either. But I don't know. I, you
3: know, let's just talk.
0: No, but I, I think it's a super interesting area. And like when I think about data, uh, synthetic data, I I don't know if you caught um, Tesla's AI dojo. Day. Yes. yeah, with, the, yeah, with yes. the dojo and the so liberals. where they build up this basically uh, a video game um, of the world mm. with cars and and people walking around um, like this full blown. Uh, world where they can basically have the car drive around and, and you know, the the key thing with this data. Set. And just to give
1: some background for people that don't uh, listen in, so the Tesla day was uh, like a month ago or. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Something. So they presented a number of, you know, pieces of work that they have done recently and, and just spoke a bit more about how they are starting to build up the self-driving
0: autopilot part of the car. Right, right. And of course, they are the main source for their data set is, is actual, you know, r- real uh, world data sets coming from their cars. But uh, one interesting part of it is, is that they're collecting this data set that's synthetic. Yeah. Um, from, from Collecting the, or generating? Uh, generating, yeah. That's yeah. a better term. Yes. Um, and what they mean is the it's a key with this type of data set that they, they can generate, for example... Uh, like very long-tailed examples. So in, so the in edge that, use cases, is really the hard problem to solve, right? Exactly. And, uh, and like for Tesla, they don't need more um, videos or or images where the car is driving down the highway where nothing happens yeah. really. Uh, yeah. They need cases where I know there's a ball coming from the left and someone is uh, mm. braking really hard. Or, or yeah, I think in the in the video they had. Some people, a, a couple and a dog running down the highway. Um, basically, pretty hard case to, to find in the real world. Yeah. And the car of Ulysses need needs to know what to do in those cases. Um, and I think that area is super interesting. And of course, it's very hard as well, because you need that data to not be obviously from a completely different distribution than from... from um, uh, sample, de- sample distribution. Yeah, yeah exactly. Distribution. So, so if you they actually talked about this, like if you... If your models are uh, very easily um, being able to distinguish between your generated data set and and uh, your actual data set then you you're probably in, in trouble yeah so that's because the neural network could't behave weird yeah exactly so in in this case also they had this um, you know where they talk about we need to blur you know have a, a blurs from uh, from speed uh, and uh, like smudges from the cameras and so on, so you need to be very sort of uh, uh, if you're going to generate your own data, you need to be very careful, basically. And, to make and it as realistic as possible. Exactly, right? yeah,
5: yeah.
1: So, yeah. So, in some cases, it's hard to basically collect data, and in those cases, it's better to generate synthetic data, right? Uh, is that what you're saying? Or
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely not uh, for every problem, mm-hmm. I would say, but uh, there is definitely... Um, uh,
3: but, but the real problem here, we need to get even further in, in, in uh, autonomous driving. We need to train... The machine learning um, algorithm on outlier cases, and there is not so many pictures on outlier cases. So how can we synthetically produce those? Something like this.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, if you, I, I think the key also is to have a good feedback loop then, and, and like identifying where is my you know model not performing well, can I identify those cases? And um, if it's a very clear sort of um, um, you know subset of, of my, um, you know, distribution, can I enhance that and, and sort of make that part even stronger?
1: What's the potential dangers, you would say, of generating synthetic data? Do you see any potential
0: problems yeah, I mean, with doing that? There's uh, there's definitely a ton. Uh, I mean, um, yeah, I, one, one key thing is that like if your data, as I mentioned, like if it's not uh, similar to to the actual real world data, yeah. and, and your your, and especially if you evaluate uh, the model that you build on top of this data, like in a simulated environment as well, mm. then when you introduce it into the real world, it could behave very differently if if uh, if it hasn't been validated.
1: Mm. Yeah. Some people would even go as far as saying, if you have a model to generate the data. Why should you need a model to try to
2: interpret it? Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What's your answer to that? Uh, My answer is that um, the generation of the data might take, uh, might use resources that you can't have. uh, I mean, they're physically impossible to have at the moment of uh, prediction, for example. Mm. So um, the data generation process in itself might be you know using for example knowledge about the future, uh, and and then uh, I think it's a good argument. But I I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's uh, a uh, there's a borderline there. Maybe. There's a borderline there, and you have to understand that if you if you have a model to create the data. Well, that's interesting because um, just an, another take on synthetic data is that when when they did. when 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 I was at um, CERN and the the way that they discover particles Mm. is that they generate, they simulate the standard model. uh, All the events uh, that can happen have cross-sections, basically probabilities. Mm. Um, And uh, you can generate, Monte Carlo simulate that, it's super advanced Monte Carlo simulation. A lot of guys in Lund are working on that, Mm. but uh, then you take this synthetic data mm. that's generated from the model and you compare to real world events. Mm. And that's how you find particles in particle physics. So, uh, but, but then, uh, I mean, then you're, you're verifying that your model is true, right? But that you can do with uh, that.
1: Just just to give an example, you know, I think, you know, if you do it properly, of course, it's great. And especially the data augmentation part. But just to give a perhaps counter example, just to to see the dangers. uh, I mean, if you take medical imaging and you take like semantic segmentation of cancer tumors or something. And then you had say okay ah the resolution that we have on these images is not good so we can't really identify the tumor but let's just use an AI model to try to super uh, have super resolution from these so you just you know expand the resolution by using a model that potentially creates some tumor uh, in some way do you do you see the problem with that potentially
2: yes (laughs) what what
1: is the I'm not following but What's the problem? I mean, obviously, it's then generating some kind of, you know, connection. If you have a really low, a low resolution kind yeah. of image of something and you super resolution, uh, have a super resolution of it, then it's just inferring from something that it should be these kind of extra pixels around same, this tumor. Yeah. And it's not real data. And, and then it creates something that may not exist at all in the real world. It looks, it looks, looks really good. looks good. It's a but circular it's a argument. argument.
3: It's a circular argument, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So it can be super dangerous if, if you don't think it properly through, so to speak. Mm-hmm.
3: The, when I've been in contact and someone's been working and pitching to us around uh, synthetic data, it has, has been around privacy. So how to deal with uh, the data, you know, you have real problems here because you, you need your population, but you re- you can't really use your, uh, you have privacy issues. So if you have a small population with consent, you know, you can use that as your, mm-hmm. and augment and a uh, synthetic, you, you can sort of, from this real sample, expand that to a bigger sample. But what the, do you think about that? Uh, one of my Horrible examples.
1: <laughs> no, because no, but, someone but, pitched okay. this to me. Someone know, pitched I know, this to me. Uh, and I, you yeah.
3: might even know who they are who pitched this and which I university guess, they work I on. I can guess.
1: I can guess. You know, you... But you, don't,
3: you. don't say the name. Yeah. But,
1: okay. Um,
5: <laughs> okay, let so, me
1: give an example of this. And it would be fun to hear your example of, you know, or your thoughts about this this problem. So, okay, we have privacy data. Yeah. let's say it's uh, it's not like unstructured text or anything it's just uh, demographics yes. and age and sex yes. is master
3: data and attributes yeah. to master data something
1: and and you want to make a classification does this person have cancer or not or some kind of disease or make some no, kind it's of no this
3: for recommender it can be even yeah. whatever. it whatever. doesn't need to be medical
1: so then you have a distribution of you know this is the, the normal distribution for uh, the sex this is normal distribution for age it's a normal distribution for you know <laughs> the location and the, you know, where income, the person, income income and whatnot whatever so then you have you know separated distributions in a non-multivariate way and then you generate from these distributions to generate new data Synthetic, not, uh, yeah expanding is, on
3: the same population and that should be then correct and,
0: uh, and, uh, and, and what do you
1: think about doing like something like this <laughs>
0: very leading question but. yeah <laughs> yeah no i i am um, that uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, the Was- problem obviously is that,
1: you know, normally you have interactions between the features. Yeah. If you completely remove the, uh, the connection and the correlation between the features and just, you know, generate samples from a distribution completely independently from each of the features, you lose all the, the patterns that did exist in the real data and, and will have complete rubbish that you can't even train anything on, right? But this That's is, true. but
3: it's interesting, then, because this, because people are making serious research in yes, this field, I know. <laughs> and they are they are pushing it almost like it's ready for marketing, you know. And uh, interesting, right? Okay, but let let's, let's
1: let's not go too negative about no. synthetic data. There no, are certain there data. are certain cases. I mean, what what we, are the good cases?
2: Well, yeah, so, so we mentioned a couple of good cases, I think. Mm. Um, uh, but but yeah, sorry, but, uh, but um, I think that. Uh, this, I mean, it's, it's dangerous if, you're not, if you don't know what you're doing. Yes. And that's uh, always the case when you handle data. Uh, uh, it's not only synthetic data. For example, if you don't know how your production environment is working and how data is uh, created in the production environment, it can be a huge problem if you try to create models. Uh, I mean, if you don't know the behavior of what you're trying to model, Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, then uh, you might uh, be very off, like I, I uh, exemplified in the credit modeling case. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so you have a lot of situations where you might end up with uh, data sets that are not representative of your, you know, incoming population, so to say, mm-hmm. uh, and that might have counterproductive results. You, I mean, you might even like implement the. Uh, like a fraud detection system that that uh, uh, lets fraudsters through and non-fraudsters like get get caught like you might actually get yeah uh, so so, so
3: be care- synthetic has some promise but be very careful that you really understand your statistics and bias I, like would, I
2: wouldn't kill off the idea. No, not kill uh, off but, the but, but idea, but I wouldn't I, I wouldn't go there. I would start with the data that you, if you have data. But
3: let me be a little bit more uh, pragmatic YouTuber. Let's let's make a top 5 list most bang for the buck data preparation, data cleansing items for the mm. newbies that they really, you know, this is really, you know, get this done. You know. Oh, what do you think is sort of, you know, basic stuff?
2: That's I mean, very, uh, yeah, that's very domain specific. I mean, yeah,
3: okay, good. But, but now that's rule number one. Yeah. Data cleansing is domain specific. Boom.
0: Yeah. I think <laughs> one. One, one, <laughs> no, but one thing that I, th- I think is super important, and this is really general for all type of problems, is like actually looking at a bunch of cases. Like if you have images, look at a bunch of images in your dataset. If you have mm. transaction records or something, look at a bunch of them um, and like get a feeling for your data set. Of course you need to also look okay. at your yeah. statistics yeah. and so on, but, but, um,
3: All data cleansing is domain specific. Look at a bunch of cases yeah. in order to get a feeling for the case. Okay. Two, three more. You hate this shit. <laughs> I am mean, you're asking very difficult questions. Oh, but it's a good question. <laughs> you know, it's actually, if you want to get advice to people who, because I think you guys, you do some of this stuff, which is high value. Super high value, actually, as, mm-hmm. if I follow your case and you do it out of experience, uh, that's just what you do. It's part of your workflow, right? But yeah. if you get to someone who's quite junior, you know, share about your workflow here.
2: Well, I I I, I think I agree a lot with what Emily said. The, the thing is, you want to look at the micro level, uh, like... Uh, you want to understand the even the architecture in the mm. system where this gener- data was generated. You want to understand if it's like customer interactions. You want to understand which customers they are. So on a you deep level, you want to understand. Go, deep, go, go deep. deep on how is this understand data. It, like draw a diagram of the architecture. Boom, uh, uh, and understand the APIs uh, uh, that are, that are involved, and uh, also uh, look at the micro level, look at the macro level, like statistical. Like yet. Uh, I mean so, general. But, but sure, I think it's time to, to move to
1: another topic, but it's a super interesting one. And and I think, you know, potentially going to your topic, you know, is, is ML a tech problem kind of question. Yeah. Um and, and you have worked, you know, with a number of customers now since 2018. And if you were to just you know give um, some kind of idea about what is the main problem that is causing so many companies to fail when they try themselves to get started with AI? What's machine the, learning, even. Or machine, yeah. Machine Let's learning. be con- concrete. Yeah, yeah, machine learning. What's the, why are so many companies failing when they try? They, they all say they want to do it, but they try and usually fail. Why is that?
4: Now, okay, this sounds maybe somewhat arrogant.
5: Mm-hmm. But
4: Good. the most important factor is that you decide that this is an important problem that you would like to solve but yeah. I mean it's the I same like, elaborate what do you mean by that I, what I, mean? I, I fully it's agree it's like okay you wanna run the Stockholm Marathon mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. the most important factor is that you really decide you wanna do this then you can say oh no I didn't have time to train I had the wrong clothes I had or the data quality was bad or the team did not have the competence there's so many excuses huh? so the most important thing is that this is an important problem it's Something that we have to solve and we will do it. I mean, 60% of the companies we are working with, they are startups. Mm, but they, and and machine learning is important for how they create value, how they operate. And they but say, we just have to do this. And th- then people are saying, no, 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 but in our company, we did POCs and they did never go to production. No, but what you're saying, because
3: what you're saying now, you need to be super committed to get, get, go through the skunk work, hard yards, dog years in order to get stepwise to the point where you get to value. So yeah. it's, is that the bottom uh, yeah, th- line commitment?
4: I, I would say dog half year, mm-hmm. usually. Dog mm-hmm. half year. But we are just working with uh, people and companies mm-hmm. to say, we are committed to do this. If they say we would like to do a POC, POC and, and try this later. out, mm-hmm. like technical POC, I mean, who okay, you can read on the Hi. internet. Probably someone have been doing this before. I like this comment. So you, you, you really need to say that this is an important problem and we are going to solve it. And we understand even if we take Eric or Emil or mm-hmm. whoever that is smart machine learning AI person, it's not enough. We need to work as a team and we will succeed. And I mean, the success rate is is extremely high because the technology is there. And uh, I mean, it, it's just that, You really want to to do it. Okay.
1: So, but let's say a company comes to you and they say, you know, I have a super important problem. I really want to solve this. Um, And perhaps they have three of them. Let's say they have three important problems they want to solve. Do you have any way to select, you know, which one to start with? Do, Do you have any kind of way to evaluate, you know, this is the best one to start with potentially?
4: Uh, I think uh, very often we start with the most simple one Mm -hmm. that we can get into production and that is solving a a real problem. So if I would say one single simple answer it's we start with the most simple one because if you succeed with the most simple one, you will succeed, or you're more likely to succeed with a more complex
3: one. And because then you also use the simple one to learn and get build the experience, build the infrastructure, build your process, so you have a better chance to tackle this more complex.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, Henrik, if you're a normal person, you would say, "Okay, this stock was marathon," but I'm also thinking of Midna Slope. Which one should I start with? <laughs> start with Midna Slope, Henrik, oh, and then we can, can do it. <laughs> you know, I love that. I love that. I, that that was. Yeah. <laughs> and then i yeah. think also with this like data quality problem mm-hmm. people are having a problem with data quality and one very important point is that data quality should be as bad as possible oh Ooh, this, this re- is a good let okay. go this
1: you need to elaborate on this yeah. uh,
4: because if you're working with machine learning you're trying to solve a specific problem and then if you believe that the quality comes with a cost you should always say like okay how can i have a sensor that is not super good. I mean, if you look at the images, do I need a super camera that is sitting on a fighter jet? Or can I use my cell phone? Yeah, yeah a cell phone photo, that, that would be enough. So, so you try to collect data with as bad quality as possible. That, 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 on
1: purpose? Or, I mean, uh, it, no, 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 no. cost-effective. Cost-effective. No, but, it's cost effective. Cost
4: effective. No, yeah. but the rhetoric—it's
1: not a you know a goal in itself to have bad quality, right? Or, no, like, no. But, but don't it, let that no. be a
4: showstopper. But, but Anders, if you go to the physical world, if yeah. I come to uh, a large manufacturer of cars and they say, "Wow, we need 100% quality of our cars," yeah. they like, say, "Anders, that's not—you're crazy. What mm-hmm. do you mean 100%? It depends how will you use this car." Uh, we but will it's it not a goal to have bad quality. I mean, no, no, it, it, no. it's, it's a,
1: just you need to have a sufficient level of quality. You right? have
4: to understand what is data quality, how do I measure it, what yeah. do I want it to be, how can I guarantee I have it on this level, yeah. and how can I make sure I use it for my machine learning purposes. Mm. And this is so unmature. People are saying, oh, we need 100% data quality. We have to mm. improve it. Maybe you don't uh, need to improve it. Maybe it's good enough for the thing you're going to use it. So, But you're, but, but you
3: know, what I'm hearing is that you're picking apart all the excuses or, uh, or basically you, we have a lot of things that can sort of take us away from the real focus of what we should be doing. So basically, I, I heard this before, oh, we should do machine learning after we have done our BI reporting, data warehouse, uh, data catalog and cloud journey. Then we should do machine learning. And you're basically saying hold on, we have a machine learning problem. Let's really understand, or we have a business problem, which is this one that happens to be, you can solve it with machine learning. Yes, but you know what? Has that got mm. anything to do with your data catalog or with your data warehouse in reality? Probably not. I think that's exactly. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Focus I, on I, the real I th- I- issue.
2: I think to... Elaborate a little bit more. Yeah, I don't think that data quality should be as bad as possible. <laughs> Thank you. But I, 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 think that data quality—it's <laughs> not the showstopper. Quality, data quality uh, is is uh, normally not uh, uh, a, showstopper. a showstopper, but but you need to understand why and data, what you're working on. Exactly, but but sometimes like it's a good practice to to think of your. I mean, let let's start. Like so, start with the business problem, mm-hmm. and and then think about what do I need. I mean, I have some data. Yes, let's start with that. Build a machine learning pipeline, build a model, put that in production, and then uh, analyze what the weakest chain uh, part of the chain is, and then, and then, then, then improve it. on that. And that might be data. Okay, goal,
3: th- so. this is profound, yeah. and and I I, I must tell a an Vattenfall anecdote working with. Uh, Vattenfall Analytical Platform, we, we, we were starting to go in this route. Henrik, we need to sort sort out data governance, data stewardship. Oh, we need to do this uh, company-wide uh, approach to data stewardship. How do we do it in Vattenfall? And the and the, the classical point, you know, you get IBM mean you have your maturity level, and we sh- everybody should get on board, and we should do generic data quality when I don't even know what the data problem is that I'm trying to solve. And it's like useless. And I basically... I did one simple thing. Let's have a use case approach. Let's start with, with, with a use case. And I did one very simple thing that I'm super proud of. I, when we, when we do a sort of requirement specs, you know, like, like almost like, you know, what are the key things that this system needs to handle? I simply added a, a category of requirements, which was called data. So basically, when you're defining what your system needs to do or, or your analysis needs to do, okay, we have the functional requirements for the business. They want to see this. In, they want to get an insight in a certain way so they can make a decision. And technically, technically, IT understood we need to have this performance. Also, we need to have this type of service and storage, blah, 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 to have these response times. What is the data requirements? I added a, I added a, a new area. It's like, do we need to monitor this? Do you need to be able to tell your users what the data is all about? And if it's, if it's uh, period, periodical reporting that all the data points has been uploaded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that simple f- fundamental point, what you said now, you need a use case first Yeah. in order to define
2: data quality. Yes. It's like meatlots, that's it. Just <laughs> a <the> use case. <laughs> right. Awesome. Good you do, I mean some people just start running. I mean I'm all for it. it, it that's, that's, I, 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 I do it that but, for wh- but, but, but then in a, in a business context, I think it's a good idea to have a use case.
3: Because then you understand what is the because data quality is fit for a purpose, right? If this is business reporting, it needs yeah. to be measured matching right If I'm doing a stock, you know fussy data, fussy logic, trend analysis is something else.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of the banks have uh, like data quality. They, 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 when when they when they measure this, it's like okay, so it's a million off. That's okay. I mean, uh, I mean, the, even the, the, I like it, like, but the, 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 so it's a context. Uh, context. Like, yeah, and and, and and then you, um, yeah. I mean, think of it as a, from raw data or from creation of the data to your productionized productionalized system. There is a lot of things that can go. Wrong. I can have low quality, even the model. I mean, if you... The model, the
3: data entry, the process, the transformation.
2: All of those things can can be improved, obviously. Okay, Let's try to summarize
1: this topic a bit. I'm not sure how, but we started off a bit about, you know, what is really the problem that companies have to get started with AI or machine learning themselves?
3: A rabbit hole here happened. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) sorry. And then we try to see. You know, that there are of course problems that they simply can't solve themselves. They probably don't have the competence. They don't have the, the know how, basically, of how to do that. Why can can if you were if you, is a company is listening right now and they say, you know, oh, I so recognize myself right now. You know, we did try this poc and it. You know, we never got it to production. When is the point when they they should realize that they need some some help externally from a company like Moduli C- can you give you know what's the when is the point can you d- try to describe that in an easy to, uh, to, to understand way
4: I think the point is when they want to start
1: <laughs> because <laughs> if they want to get anything they have to
4: no but I mean every company that we work with is like machine learning is crucial for how we create value or operate yeah. this is an in-house thing yeah We want to do this ourselves. So very often we come there and say that Mm. we will not stay here forever. We're not like a resource consultants, but we will help you to get get this problem solved Mm. and to do something end to end. Mm. And then we're also helping you to get the team on board. And then we will leave you because we will, we think this is too important for you than to, to leave to us over years. Mm. So we, we believe you will build your own team. Mm. And that's usually the way it, it starts. Huh? Nicely put, Magnus.
1: I think we should move to, to another topic. And, and you mentioned this now a number of times, and this is uh, of getting uh, the need to get the system into production in different ways. And uh, perhaps the differences of building a POC or a proof of concept or a prototype versus doing it in production. And you have done that a number of times of course um, and have experience for that. Can you try, s- try to, to describe a bit what's the difference of building a proof of concept versus taking a system to production?
2: Engineering. <laughs> uh, well done. Right. Lala would be proud so, of sorry. you. Sorry, <laughs> do you want me to expand? I mean, so, so uh, I mean some POCs I've seen are just uh, Jupyter notebooks uh, mm-hmm. connecting to some database and you know, doing some analysis and so on. Uh, I mean, then you end up with some results, and then someone says, Well, why don't we just use this somehow? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, but but then you're uh, obvi- obviously like you need MLOps, you need. And what's on uh, MLOps? Sorry. What's MLOps? Uh, uh, machine learning mm-hmm. operations like uh, DevOps in engineering yeah. is mm-hmm. about how to productionalize uh, machine learning. Uh, How is it different from
1: DevOps than if you were to try to differentiate the two? It's not so different, Eric.
4: What have you just been doing, MLops?
2: Yes. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's actually uh, uh, I would call it almost like an expansion Mm -hmm. of DevOps. Like you're using a lot of things directly from DevOps, a lot of practices that are common, like Mm -hmm. uh, continuous integration, continuous deployment. And uh, you're also using, um, uh, but but in machine learning operations you might have continuous training, right. um, uh, but and you also have this um, uh, data uh, problem that data needs to be used to create uh, machine learning mod- models. And in normal DevOps, I think that most of the time you're just Deploying code but i
3: think we can we can we can stay here a little bit now because putting things to production is about engineering boom yes and then we highlighted here we, we, we're expanding around uh, some jargon that, which, but i think is absolutely critical to people to desiccate we we talk about devops right and devops is basically software engineering so we, we learned how to build systems and how to have a continuous development and operations cycle in how we build software. And then basically what happens when you apply software engineering practices and principles into data and algorithm centric systems?
2: That's very well put exactly. Uh, Well, so one problem is for example, data versioning, Mm. a huge problem uh, that, I mean, Oh, there are ways to version your code git is the normal one and um, but to version your data that requires some kind of other systems so we for, for example we use data version control uh, and and we've also used other systems to do versioning of our data um, to be able to reproduce a certain you know, run of a machine learning pipeline a certain machine learning experiment from end to end make sure that it's uh, th- you can trace back the results to the in- input parameters and the data that was used
3: this is so so a lot of stuff around data data versioning is this is a key this is a key
2: part, a key part uh, and uh, what else i mean
3: pipelines pipel-
2: pipelines uh, obviously, it, data pipelines. They go for the training the, data set, for, the, yeah. for everything. Feature stores.
0: Um, I mean, Yamil, do you want to- <laughs> Yeah, you, you just said something there that's also super difficult. Feature store. The Feature <laughs> no, but, stores
3: are hot. What is feature stores? That's cool.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's... it's um, your model usually use some sort of features that are derived from the raw data. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the question is, um, how do you make sure that the features that you have derived w- during training of your models uh, will be exactly the same that's used uh, w- when it's in production in mm. your your systems? Um, and sometimes it's it's uh, not super difficult to make sure that that's actually exactly the same. A lot of times, especially when it's uh, you know low latency systems um, uh, and so on, it's it's super difficult, and you 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 basically never want to have uh, you know duplicated code you have some i don't know super efficient c++ java code running in your your front end that's doing some calculations and then you have your python code in in um, development that uh, are they are supposed to be in sync but they never are <laughs> <laughs> so so you want to avoid that and and feature stores um uh, and there's about a bunch of like this is something i would say it's been a, a really interesting progress in, in this area um uh, lately but uh, it's still not a solved the problem, I would say, but making sure that that's actually less of a problem than, uh, for example, when we worked at Klarna, that was a, a big thing that people were working on. But but,
3: but we have, a, there's a little bit like, and I'm the newbie, I'm the, I'm the novice, not the newbie, the novice. Um, I mean, like software engineering has its fundamental cycle of, of how we understand the problem and then we cause the problem. And when you go into machine learning type problems, the, 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 process is quite different because you need to first explore, you need to find the right variables, you need to build the training data set, and then you need to basically test all the different versions until you get to this is the best model. And then I need to validate. And then when I think that's done, I need to deploy that. And then I need to containerize that or something to put that in production. So it's a little bit like, you know, it's, 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 it's one process is to find the model. And then it's all this engineering that comes when I'm happy as a data scientist to sort of boom. I I think that is very different to a a pure DevOps software engineering process. Uh,
2: That is probably very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've never worked as a pure software engineer. So I've... I've, uh, Oh, really? No, I haven't. So, so, uh, but, but, uh, um, yes. Exactly. I mean, you do all these steps, and you end up with a model. Ho- hopefully, you're doing all, all of this iteratively, mm-hmm. and hopefully, you're not deploying like at the very, very end of your project. No, because that's usually a bad idea. Like you, 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 you can include the productionalization in that. Argument. You can work smartly from, and you can also deploy it full like machine learning pipeline so that you automate the whole creation of the machine learning models.
3: But what you said right now, it might be quite profound. The difference when, I, when I start a project and I have a pilot mindset, I started in fundamentally the wrong way in my Jupyter notebook. And I haven't thought yes. about this. So, so, and this is something now we can talk This is an after after work discussion about well, what I'm doing and what I, I think. We had this discussion before. Do we like pilots? You kind of like pilots. And I, me, Matthias Frost, and another couple of guys, we don't like pilots. We like to have the idea of unicorn production system. But I have an MVP approach to fail fast on, on the bad ideas. But I fundamentally do the right things in the idea phase, in the validation phase, in the
2: alphabeta, so to speak. Yes. I mean, I've, the way that I usually work, and I think most of us, uh, uh, all of us, most mostly work is that you're not done until the, you have an API up and running. I mean, I mean, so, I mean,
3: so but, but you have the other side of the coin that sometimes you really need to f- super fast validate and prove that this is useful. Is is it is it any chance sometimes that you don't you know you you cheat so to speak?
2: Well, I wouldn't say. I, to be honest, if if you have a model uh and you have like an artifact and then you want to put that in production it's not too hard
5: it's not too hard to just create like for example I love
2: flask it, argue, 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 argue. it's not too hard to just just put it in like uh, put up an api like uh, Flask API or something like that. To just
3: but what, what because you you, you but think it's starting. huge because you put another definition on, yeah. on, on on that part of the process.
1: Yeah, but
2: there there are a lot of other things you need to do to really. Okay, let, so let me just
1: quote Google from 2015. Then um, they claim you know to build a prototype or to do a model is like five percent of the work to actually build a full productionized system, which require ninety five percent more work to actually do that ha- make that happen.
2: Uh, but uh, so if you want everything that goes into a productionized system, yes. Mm. But then th- there is a lot
4: of tooling today
2: that you can you uh, helps you. Yeah. yeah.
4: But, but, Anders, I, I yes. believe to start with the end, I mean, well, what I felt very refreshing when I met Eric and the other guys, that they were pretty destroyed from the start. And what do I mean with that? I mean, they came from, the, they like the space. Okay, I like space. So I, I study physics. And because I study physics, I end up in finance. <laughs> and, it, and at that time, that was Klarna. And at Klarna is like, okay, you're not here to, to do uh, machine learning. You're here to solve a distinct problem. And if you don't put it into production, it's pointless. Mm. So don't talk about machine learning if you don't uh, talk about how you can improve the product. Uh, And I mean, if you have this mindset, uh, I think we are maybe not the best persons also to, okay, what's the difference between this and that? Because the team has mainly been using just machine learning and just put it into production. So in that way, it's very simple. But I think the challenge here is that... you need to be curious about the, the world. What's the problem you're going to solve? Mm. You need to be this like crazy scientist. Oh, I have a PhD. I'm trying different, different approaches. Like, do down to PhD. Please. Yeah, I yeah, know, but <laughs> well, well, no, no, no. But this but, is a very important, we have Joseph. Yeah. He's always saying, I'm always, he's almost screaming. I'm always, I'm a scientist. I want to mm. solve this. So you have this like uh, research area. Like how can we solve this in the best way possible? That's the area number two. First, mm. like understand the problem, then research. What's hypothesis the hypothesis framing? Yeah, yeah what's and stuff the like best that. way I can do this? I want to try different networks, architectures, models, and so on. Mm. And then you have the engineering side. And then even if you are this uh, super bright person in the number two, maybe you need to, to cooperate with the other people to say, oh, how do I do this clean code? How, how good do I get from that? So even... I That's
1: a magnitude more engineering work than... It, yeah, corporate.
4: but th- this is why you always have to work as a team because no one is really good at those three things. Of course, you get better and better and better for every year, but it's a big uh, failure to say, oh, you know, I've been working with AI for 10 years, but I've just been in number two. And doing research on this kind of data. So I think this is. But
1: let's not conflate the two different topics here. I think you're, for one, speaking about people with different skills, and some people, let's say, call them data scientists that may not know how to put stuff in production, versus if a company really wants to find, you know, what should I really, you know, find as a use case that I should start working with and failing fast. That's completely two different questions. Two different topics, and then the engineering the the question, the difference then is, um, if I have, let's say, three or even 10 different potential use cases as a company that I can work with, then I can choose to do a number of things. One, I can choose to take all 10 of them and put them in production and actually do the full work on all of them and see what happens. Or I can try to first evaluate what is the predictive power that we have for the data for each use case and see is there any chance to actually do some kind of predictive uh, work on on this type of data or is there no predictive power at all and to to answer that question you don't need to put that system into production and potentially can fail much faster than you could if you were to put all 10 into
2: production first you see what i mean yes and uh, that's that's Maybe we're a bit controversial here. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, so so obviously in some cases we do analysis to, to see like is there a use case here if there are like three or four or even ten different uh, ideas for mm-hmm. ways to apply machine learning. Um, so then we look at the data, we, we create mm-hmm. models, but we, we tend to do it not in the kind of Jupyter Notebook, Way, but, but in a more of a, like a productionizable yeah. uh, way
3: so, so you, but but I think this is important and, and, and in the work and like that's even even if you have this MVP approach and not the piloting approach, they're actually more similar than we think because the first phase of any hypo is a hypothesis framing right that's the ideation phase and then you have some feasibility ideaH uh, validation phase and of course you can call that a punk if you want to. And then then at some point, you you can see the usefulness of the business case, you can see the usefulness of the um, algorithm, you can see the, you know, effort and cost in order to get the data that you need. And you start to understand the feasibility of can I make a UX or can I make something that a normal, you know, who will, how will this be used, right? And you can fail, in my opinion, on all of those three points. So you can have a very nice model But actually, the data, uh, we will not be able to scale this up at scale, right? We can do this in in a sample, but how how will I do this in a bank uh, across the globe and and collect this data? The cost to do that is not feasible, you know. So there are many ways that you want to do a pilot, but only to do a pilot on the algorithm is not enough. You need to do a feasibility view, in my opinion, on several dimensions. Then you can discuss if it's the same as production and you go the full-blown way. Uh, I, I get that point
1: awesome any final thoughts about you know what it means to take a system to production Um, you know there are these um, one way to call it you know if you compare traditional software engineering to ai engineering that we actually tried to coin as a term from peltorian times we actually had a conference uh, recently in uh, ix international conference in software engineering with that specific topic Um, And I think you've phrased it really well, Eric, saying, you know, there is a big difference in traditional software engineering, which is it's not only about putting code in production. It's actually about putting data together with the code in production. And we don't have the tooling for that today. We don't know how to do proper data versioning, as you said, and we don't know how to do the proper operations on top of that to identify if you have a training or serving skew or some kind of data drift or whatnot that happens, right? But you have it for code, but not for data,
2: right? Uh, that is, is extremely true. And uh, I mean, the, there is uh, there is a lot of, uh, you know, uh, theoretical work that has been done on this. But mm-hmm. I, I, I would say, I mean, on the practical side, mm-hmm. it it's still in its infancy. Yeah, true. Yeah. Sure. Awesome. And uh, perhaps we could
1: move... Uh, quickly into another topic which is more you know we've spoken a a number of times about Jupyter notebooks now and different tech stacks if we call it that uh, that you can use and um, if you would like to share if you don't want to share let us know and say say no but do you have any favorite tooling for putting uh, machine learning systems into production what is your preferred way of what you like to work with? What you do, do not like to
0: work with? And I'm hoping you're saying the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but just um, connecting to the previous topic a, a bit. I think like it's definitely in the infancy of a lot of these tools for right. for putting things in production but i think it's improved like drastically just right. in, yes. a, in a couple of years right. so i think um we are sort of lagging behind the the software engineering uh, in in a few of those uh,
5: they've been er- doing it for years
0: they've been doing it for, for so long so i think we're uh, catching up and, and then like there's yeah there's a lot of um, uh, interesting tools and and companies doing okay. great work here so when it comes to, to tools i think yeah, this is interesting also we have you know, endless, uh, debates internally about, you know, do you prefer this or that? Um, and we definitely don't have like a, um, company like you should use TensorFlow um, because it's like super healthy to, in my opinion, at least to, to, you know, explore a bunch of different tools and you never know who's going to be like the next to winning That's thing. So, um, I mean, we love all of these things. I like think we, we talked about youth Peter notebooks here. Like I, I, I love them, like maybe not for everything, but, uh. Uh, they're probably a bit overused uh, in general, but they're a really nice, nice tool as well. Um, I mean, a very diplomatic answer. But if you were to exactly. put some kind of
1: preference on some tooling, you'd like a bit more than perhaps some others.
0: Yeah, but I mean, so if we talk about the MOP side, like I've gotten into uh cube flow mm-hmm. um in, in awesome. the, um, like recent time and i i mean it's still also very much in its infancy and it's uh, the a
1: bit over engineered a bit though if you cook cube <laughs> flow pipelines and these kind of things yeah
0: i mean it's it definitely has some rough edges and like um it's it's maybe not the easiest to work with all the time mm-hmm. but i think it's it's definitely on the right track in my opinion,
1: and if you were to describe very briefly what Kubeflow is, how would you describe it?
0: So, Kubeflow is a is a tool for doing a lot of the envelopes things like versioning um, data and and um, uh, models, and like the idea is to be able to run um, machine learning pipelines in Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of sort of th- it's a full ecosystem basically. So, so um, you can have notebooks you can have pipelines you can have also serving in this um, so yes. it, it tries to sort of connect uh, good tools in the in the uh, ecosystem yeah. and, and fit them together in a in a nice way so you can yeah. build these sort of end to end pipelines and, and deployments um and it's the goal is to try to have it very sort of um uh, modularized or a component modularized, <laughs> modularized. <Yeah. laughs> so you can have I mean you can mis, mix and match if you want to use I don't know PyTorch for training your models and, and TensorFlow for something else uh, maybe I don't know if you, so <laughs> do you do that but but yeah so you, you, you're you not um, these different components can have different technologies basically
3: so use, use one maybe one minute for me who doesn't really uh, I'm not a coder we, I've heard uh, PyTorch, TensorFlow Kubeflow, Kubernetes, you know, how how do they relate? What's what here?
0: So, uh, PyTorch and TensorFlow, they're, um, you know, open source um, projects for actually training. So,
3: libraries with
0: Python algorithms for different purposes. exactly. And they're very, um, you know, uh, efficient Frameworks for and very I, I I would say that those are the main two ones right now that uh, are yeah. used in the community for training so, models. So, so the,
3: we had this conversation like you you are screwed if you don't go and use the open frameworks as an, as a machine learning data scientist is that that is an opinion is that true like who who starts from scratch
1: from scratch is impossible but you don't need to use open source there are actually some nice uh, commercial
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> tools. I've heard. Okay, we don't <laughs> talk about we don't talk about that. But, but 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 then we have Kubeflow versus Kubernetes. What's what's what here? Uh,
0: so uh, Kubernetes. So Kubeflow is is running on top of uh, sorry Kubeflow is running on top of Kubernetes, and Kubernetes is this. Uh, so this is I'm not an expert on this, but it's mm-hmm. it's a tool for uh, managing uh, infrastructure and uh, running different. Um, um, orchestration of uh, containers. Containers. Yeah. containers container, container
3: orchestration containers, right containers, exactly. so so we have these we have these technologies that we sort of always we almost say them now like they're part of the oh, they're part of the infra today almost so it's interesting right so we hear about k- Kubernetes we hear about Docker and a couple of technologies like that and then we hear about okay TensorFlow and the uh, PyTorch libraries and then we hear about favorite toolings to actually do your work is that a fair summary uh, I, I'm trying to understand. I,
5: it, this is a I little bit Greek. These
1: are the, the common ones. But I think another question that would be interesting to hear what you think about is most of the models we use today that are coming out you know, every month and, and new versions you know, for NLP or for images or audio or time series or whatnot, they are usually coming out of these kind of research labs in Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Alibaba, Tencent, blah, blah. And the quality, what do you think about the code quality in these kind of, you know, repositories on GitHub uh, coming from these? Any thoughts about that?
0: Yeah, I would say that it's um, it's varied. Mm. Mm. Uh,
1: any uh, one any one of these kind of big tech giants that you think has the best code quality? I know oh. what my preference is, but wow. That's a good question. That is
0: a good question. Uh, I,
2: like, that, that's a very good question. I'm trying to think, like, that's a very good question. Um I think yeah uh, i mean i i tend to I, I the one the ones I've seen from google i I don't think that the code quality is too bad, but mm-hmm. I haven't looked into all of them and then like compare them, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't be able to tell you email and email? Know, it's, uh yeah i would i would no. <laughs> you're all fantastic exactly. yeah. no, I, 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 I,
1: don't, I don't know, I don't know. No, you it, should I, say I, the opposite, they're all hor- horrible I, I, some I've are slightly
2: in, better than horrible I've looked to so. into kubeflow yeah. uh, and I can agree with you when it comes to yeah.
1: kubeflow but also I'm thinking more like if, if you take the latest uh, Roberta model in NLP or something and they have a specific uh, repository in github for that uh, and you want to put that specific you know code and model into production uh, and then you have to potentially use that code base and um, they have some dependencies that may not be perfectly defined and they have you know some weird you know very lacking um, test coverage etc um do have you found that problematic in some way or what's well, your experience i mean we always
2: if, if we if we use uh, i mean pre-trained models or if we fine-tune pre-trained models we always have you know a ways to test that the mm-hmm. uh, the, the results are good and that the end KPIs that we are trying to kind of meet are, you know, um, or the, the metrics that they kind of are um, uh, measuring the business impact or something like that is, yeah. are, are good. Uh, so if they don't have complete test coverage in the repository, it's a problem, obviously, but it's not like uh, it's a huge enough problem for us to not be able to use it. I mean, we should be happy to have something like uh, you know
1: containerization of of code. Otherwise, it could probably be really problematic to keep up with all the world of dependencies. I guess so. There are tools yeah. for sure to to keep up with this.
3: Okay, should I uh, want I want to take a topic now? Yeah, please. I I I want to go a little bit into the um, uh, the business and enterprise space. So we we started here like well, what is uh, problematic uh, or you know what is the challenge or, or what you need to think about when you get started with machine learning exercise. So, uh, my hypothesis when it comes to enterprise is a little bit like if you, ha- if you come from analog uh, background, it's almost like a journey to become more data and AI ready, like your tech stack, your ways of working, your way of looking at software, which is maybe application centric full stack within one with one, each business application. This is a traditional enterprise environment it has a bit of a journey to to come to the kind of ways of working and and uh, operating tech and all that, that I think is a journey. Uh, have, you, have you seen that? Or what, what are sort of the, if I, if I put the last question, when you come in, in how do you fit with IT? Or what is the gap? So what do you need to work on in order to make that them, to teach them to become sort of data AI ready to sort of take on machine learning type? stack inside their, uh, environment.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I a big,
3: I mean, like it's broad, like, I don't know how, to, uh, like my framing is a little bit like, you know, what do they need to learn in, o- or in order to embrace it?
4: I think 60% of the companies that we are working with, they are like digitally born. Mm. And uh, they don't have this really like IT and and the business. Of course, they have tech and product or something. But they are not the same as the traditional IT supply, IT demand. No, they are not the traditional organizations. But in the cases where we have been working with those organizations, we have been just checking, is this an important problem? Is this solvable? And then we have been solving it. And then we are saying, okay, there's a lot of problems. I mean... It's usually like, okay, we're not on level three of AI maturity. So we, we don't really care about that. It's like, do we have a distinct problem? Do we have data? Maybe it's okay. It's from a data warehouse. It's just update every week or whatever. You can say, okay, this is what we have now. Mm-hmm. And if personalization is important for you, let's solve it with the data that we have. And then we can discuss how do we get pipelines? It can be real time. Should I have this feature store, should I have yada yada. Mm-hmm. But then it's much better to just solve it. And then see like, okay, what do we need to to check? How do we have to work differently? Instead of trying to, okay, we will change IT. We build this data lake. We have stewards. We work with data quality. We prepare for machine learning. Just like do machine learning. And then like okay, when you would like to do it a second time, what should we prepare better? Uh, and, and so it's an iterative way to go on this journey. This is not a project. This yeah. is not an,
3: a re-platforming project. This is really iterative no, approach so, so, so. to become data uh, machine learning
4: ready. For, for us, it's just like to solve this problem, and then of course we leave a lot of implications. Like if you had this real time data, yada yada. If you had better data quality, if you have this and that, it would be better. Mm. But then it's just a strong recommendation instead of saying like. Okay, I'm going to run my first marathon, and what do I have to pre- to to do? And I need to prepare for eight years. It's maybe better just to, to run a smaller race then. And and this is what we want to do. We want to do this right away, and then write on a list what can we improve for next time. And, yeah. and usually, like a large enterprise, they can succeed in six months to put something amazing in in production. But I
3: I think this is also quite profound that. And I fully agree with that, that it, this sort of, we are here and now we need to be data and AI uh, company tomorrow. It won't happen like that. You simply need to start, you know, it's a little bit like change is like pouring milk into coffee. You simply need to start pouring in order to understand, you know, how much milk you want in your coffee. You can't really control this change. And you, and, and the starting point is like, they don't know what they don't know. So they kind of need to do their first projects and iterate from here in order to understand what is useful to improve and what is useful to organize differently and what tech is useful to get in. I mean, like a lot of things, the problem is that a lot of the enterprises has gone into the whole replatforming, buying the tech first, but not really caring about the business problem. So I I really think this is quite profound. It's a different mindset on how to solve this, in my opinion.
1: I mean, it is important. I mean, I think what you said is really important and I wish more companies understood that that you don't need to transform the whole company to get started with machine learning. You can actually start with a small use case and quickly get started with that and then start to understand more, what
3: right? you and
1: every time is you, that what you, you mean?
4: Yeah. And I also would like to go back like 10 minutes in time and uh, and confront you a little bit Anders, yeah? because you said that, okay, maybe they have 10 problems. What should they start with? Mm. But if you talk to a business manager, it's like, what's your, your 10 most different, I mean, large problem? They don't have 10 problems. Mm. They have one. I need to find what company to invest in. Yeah. I need to, to give this loans, but don't get the faults. I need to. So very often, they have a very few problem that is really crucial for how they operate. Do you think uh, they're always right in what projects you start with, though? I think the bold ones, they say that this is important for us, here it can bring value and then they should should start with this. Of course, if they have two or more, it's better because then start with a simple and you can learn a little bit and then go for the next. But very silly, if they come like, that, oh, we have 10 problems, we have been doing this ideation workshop, they probably, maybe I'm not even sure if they found the most relevant use case. But they're more sure if they have one than 10? Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, I th- would because be too, th- they are I probably more practice. focused and say that so, uh, this is uh, <laughs> what we are doing. We, we have one problem that is really important, and we think we can do it better. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, yeah so,
2: so I and I also think that we should distinguish between uh, you know, problems and problems. I mean, and some problems are just inherent in the business. Mm-hmm. Like the credit uh, uh credit the scoring problem for Klarna or <laughs> a fraud problem. Some problems are come up. Because you do an ideation pro- process and you think about things like there is something called NLP. How can we use that? Right. Well, we From do a have a lot of documents an and that program. could be used oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because oh, then shit. we could... Yeah, yeah, and, this and sometimes is actually
3: dangerous but you go and take first still.
2: It, you go and take first and sometimes that's a really, really good way to find like uh, uh, new opportunities. I mean, to be honest, but but if you look at that as that as a problem, it's not really a problem. It's an opportunity mm-hmm. for you to do, to yes. do something new that you haven't done before. But it was, so I think what what uh, Manus is referring to is like a real like business. fundamental business problem mm-hmm. that you as a manager have to kind of deal with in some way. But I th-
3: I think. It- Follow-on question is, is the industry part of also almost skewing, you know, blurring the picture here? Because we have all these vendors and we sell AI tech, we sell machine learning tech, and it's very common that we start with the technology. You know, this is the typical uh, blog post, right? We have NLP. What is the opportunities with NLP or challenges that you can solve with NLPs? And I I think this is a quite big difference between the enterprise world and the real tech, you know, the, the startups. If you're a tech native you're more sharp on the business problem you want to solve and then you go after that and figure out what problems will solve that whilst in the enterprise space it's a little bit like we, we work with all these vendors and we get so oh you know you're going to do you need to do ai otherwise you're dead in five years and oh my god and it's, it's a little bit a wrong starting point would you agree know.
1: Well, if you do ideation in, you know, with both a business and tech point of view, then of course you can do it right, and, yeah, and that would you be can. obviously the best way that to do it. That would be it, the best. Right? Otherwise, I would be surprised. But I, I like,
5: that.
3: I like the uh, fundamental. You know what? Let's leave but, tech and just ask the real problem questions.
1: But I would say also that you know, of course, tech driven is not always bad, and I think sometimes necessary actually. So I think having a dual approach on this, both going bottom up and top down from looking from the business point of view, what you have today, but also top down and seeing what could you actually do that you don't
2: do today. So don't uh, dismiss it too much. No, no. And I, I, I'm sorry if I dismissed, I I, I don't mean to dismiss mm-hmm. it. It's just that uh, there's potential, potential <laughs> downside with yeah. the Only line of thinking, like yeah, going from tech first and, uh, and, and, uh, I, I like the distinction there. Yeah.
1: Uh, cool. We have a very little short <laughs> or short period of time left. And I'd like to, to move a bit more into more philosophical questions. Yes. And um, um, oh, we have so many of them. Sh- should we, and, and we really have to be have a bit of self-discipline here, not to speak too long about this. But uh, I, yeah, you mentioned it before, Emil, about GBT3 or NLP. So we have to take that. Let's let's try to have some self-discipline and not spend like half an hour speaking about this. But let me just open up with a small question and see what you think about this. So some people think, you know, GPT-3 is the... I even heard today some podcast saying GPT-3 is more more intelligent than the human. And I was like jumping over my motorcycle (laughs) or something. (laughs) But still, I I must say, you know, of course, GPT-3 is very... Impressive, and it certainly is moving to more general intelligence. But it also has some very big problems when it comes to practical use. What's your view of GPT three, and should companies that you work with be interested in that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think I agree with you there. It's, it's. Um, you're actually really impressed when you see it the first time. You're yeah. like, oh, it can do all these things, and it's just like. It's the same thing. It's the same model. It's it's ju- you give it some some context and some input, and then it just spits out usually re- reasonable things. Um, but uh, yeah, and I mean, this is also something like when you mention intelligence. Okay, but what what is that actually? Like the definition of this one is the um, maybe they say that in the in the article there. But uh, but um, I would definitely um, not Do you have a
1: preferred definition of intelligence. By the way,
0: no, I don't okay but i i know that uh, there are some other people in in, in our company that uh, <laughs> that have that um but um yeah gpt3 it's it's um it's to me it's sort of like a, a promise of something to come mm-hmm. like it's super interesting and uh, I also don't like when people bash it the other way around, like saying like, oh, it's just a party trick and it's it's just for fun and, yeah. and it's and not. It, it is really impressive. Yeah, exactly. it's really impressive. And it's like, this is something that that will be, you know, um, built upon yeah. uh, and sure. will be, uh, you know, it's it's, um, it's promising. That's what I say about GPT-3 and, and models like that.
1: Um, Would you agree with saying, you know, it's really promising from a more philosophical or like
0: AGI point of view? But horrible in terms of practical use today. Um, I mean, horrible. I, I think it's there. You can definitely find really, really good use cases for it. Like mm-hmm. if, if you, so, I mean, if you, um, you know, like this uh, few shot thing where you have. I mean, classification. Don't do uh,
1: No way. <laughs> Sorry. But no. I mean, you could easily take whatever other model and fine tune that on your own data and get like 10x right. performance. Then GPT-3 can, so GPT-3 would be horribly worse than any kind of fine tuned model that you have. Right, you can never fine tune GPT-3. So why would you ever use it for classification?
0: No, I mean you, you wouldn't use it if you have the opportunity to to use some data set that you have that you can fine tune on. Uh, but I think there are uh, cases where you don't have that option and you, you're like, you, you're starting from complete scratch and I think there are problems that it could solve, um, uh, in that domain, but yeah, I, I don't think that it's not, uh, you know, a, a one model fix everything. Definitely not.
2: I mean, it's, in my opinion, too expensive.
0: It is. You can't use yeah. it for practical use. No, you know? uh,
2: it's, but but uh, I I would not dismiss all of it because of that. I I think that.
1: Of, of course, but, I mean there is a good reason for OpenAI to do this, and it's a good reason for Chinese doing a 10x the size of GPT three. What do you think is the reason? <laughs> I'm um, I'm biting my tongue. Uh, do you know there is a, a Swedish version of GPT three going to be p- potentially trained uh-huh. soon, or there are actually two versions already in Swedish? But is that the one with the Royal Library? No, no. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think. But what what do you think about you know? Oh no. Nah, okay, we should stop this discussion. <laughs> this yeah. can go on forever. I, I can feel. <laughs> Uh, Okay, Okay. let me see if we can find a common sense agreement on, you know, the pros and cons of GPT-3 and see if you agree with it. So for one, I think we can all agree it's an astonishing research achievement that they have done with a huge amount of data and just scaling up the model size and a super simple objective, being able to solve like any kind of task without having to fine tune for each of the tasks. So it's a very generic model moving much closer to general intelligence. Would you agree so far?
2: Yeah. Yes, I mean, but that's that's completely, I mean, th- that's dependent on, on the definition of general intelligence mm-hmm. though.
1: But it can do many tasks at it least, can. without
2: yes. having to fine-tune each
1: of them. Yes. So a single model without changing it can do many tasks. Yeah, yeah. that's obviously a move in the direction of general yeah. intelligence. Yeah. But it's horribly bad from a practical point of view because <laughs> you can fine-tune it and it's worse performance mm-hmm. than any kind of other NLP model that you have today.
2: We we haven't put it in production, to be honest. What?
5: <laughs> <laughs> no, but
0: I mean, it's also it's a, a, two different things. Like one thing is putting it in production yourself. Yeah. That you should definitely not do. Uh, but buying API uh, quota yeah. Yeah. might be reasonable in some cases. And if
1: you were for some reason wanting to generate a lot of fake text, yeah, that would be an awesome thing to do, right? It's like a deep fake for text or. <laughs>
3: I, I start up my own publishing company and I have an API to keep G3, right? Yeah.
1: Ah uh, I shouldn't be as opinionated as this, I think. Okay.
3: But you're funny because you're opinionated and then you bite your tongue. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how that works.
1: Should be a scientist, in an <laughs> you know, objective.
3: You think you think. Yeah, I think,
1: yeah. Okay. Um one topic that we often speak about. Oh, I see it's just a few minutes left. Um Yeah, okay. Um, One topic that we speak about a lot, and I think we mentioned as well here, is the AI divide. That you know, some few companies, the big tech giants, you know, the Google, the Facebook, the Microsoft, the Amazon's, and and then the Chinese, the Tencent, uh, Baidu, and Alibaba, etc. They are the biggest and and most valuable companies in the world today, and they know how to use. They have the data. They know how to use the data. They have the the research groups. They have the the AI systems in place in production and make you know. large amount of money. And then I would and um, potentially, and this is the, the question basically, most other companies fail when they try to put ML systems in production. Would you say that this kind of divide, if you call that the AI divide between you know few selected companies that can use it a lot and make a lot of money from it and most other fails, is growing or starting to catch up? Do you think that you know the rest of the companies in the world are starting to catch up with the tech giants or is it still accelerating away? Uh,
2: uh, I would say that's a very interesting question. I could, I, I think this is a good uh, after work question because <laughs> you have both arguments. I mean, obviously, uh, it, those companies are, th- there is a law of like, uh, you know, diminishing marginal returns and, but these guys are, I mean, getting more data by yeah. the second. So, yeah. Those are two competing forces here. And they are doing a brain drain, you know, from all the universities. They're doing the brain drain. And and I don't think that the rest of the world is catching up. I think that that would be too optimistic. I think that there is a huge, like, democratic problem here, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that... um, um The... I've been trying to like come up with like uh, ideas. I mean, I like to, to, to talk about wild ideas sometimes and mm-hmm. some of them not too uh, practical maybe, but, but uh, uh, it, ways to kind of offset that. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, uh, to, to kind of uh, guerrilla warfare against the big ones. <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> how should that work well i mean like okay this is a, a crazy idea but but one thing that i've been thinking about like like log, a lot of people have gpus right yeah so if you just came together as a big like yeah uh, it's a uh, crowdsourcing thing where like crowds but that would be a horrible data distribution problem mm-hmm. and and but but i i i i was a part of SETI at home oh, back yeah. in the day i I, I liked the f- like if you could create like a community or something like that uh vote on the problems you want to solve and you have the data and you could use like uh, millions of gpus mm-hmm. maybe you could uh launch that as and maybe mm-hmm. you could um mm-hmm. open source that and, but that's uh, maybe a pipe dream i talked to emily about it the other day and he mm-hmm. was like how oh, is that going to work <laughs>
0: <laughs> but i also said i like it
2: like the idea yeah you said oh sorry you weren't the one that you, there was some other
1: person. I mean, to get a, a bit serious a bit about this, you know, I think a lot of politicians as well are starting to realize this big problem, and especially in EU, where we don't have a, any single big tech company that is even close to the US or Chinese companies, and and they really want to fix that somehow, and they're starting to finance a number of these. They call it still HPC, you know, high performance computing clusters, but in reality they're putting GPUs in it and, and other things. So it's starting to be AI clusters that people can get access to and we're doing the same in Sweden partly we have a big you know in Linköping University that is a super pod of NVIDIA or 480 A100 GPUs and yeah it's it cool stuff is that the right way to go do politicians need to go in here and, and use our you know tax money to, to start to build up the infrastructure to, to truly make companies catch up or
2: is that a good way to do it That's almost like a political question. It is a political (laughs) (laughs) question. But uh, in my opinion, uh, I think that it's good. Yes, Mm. I I think they should do it uh, because of the way that, I mean, it's a pragmatic uh, way of thinking about things. Like, this is a problem. How can we help? That's a way of helping the situation. Mm. Should it be like that? Idealistically, maybe no. Mm. I mean, maybe we should have, Done things here in the EU too, but we're. Uh, I mean, m- maybe this is a, uh, a f- um, result of the fact that the EU is a fragmented market and yes. EU uh, and the US is not, and and uh, uh, China is definitely not. Yeah. So uh, so maybe
4: uh, helping helping out from the political side is a good idea. Yeah. Okay. I think all the tech giants that you are mentioning, they are solving some distinct problems and creating a distinct value. Mm -hmm. If we cannot do that, independently of what kind of value it is, I think we have very hard to catch up.
3: So we need to be better at defining the problem and solving the problem.
4: Yeah, I mean, bringing a lot of GPUs, I mean, why? Mm -hmm. And if we don't have a why, why do we do it? I mean, it can be simple, like we want to... Uh, do advertisement in this uh, this uh, to this in this segment or whatever, but we need to have at least a why. Why are we doing it? Otherwise, we will never catch up.
3: So this is quite interesting because they they are then growing and they are extremely good, but they have also never lost sight of the business problem they are solving for their own purposes and for their own benefits. Of course, that's the point that you're trying to make. If we don't have a clear problem that we are going to
4: utilize all the tech for,
3: it becomes a tech problem, a tech-led discussion rather than the business-led discussion.
4: Yeah, I think that that's the main problem. I mean, if we say, "Oh, we need to catch up with those guys," mm. and we we're creating a like high whatever you, you said with uh, computation and so on, mm. why? Yeah, because we want to to compete. On okay. What? And it's not enough. It will just be like, okay, our IT department need to, to buy more GPUs and we have to get into AI. You will never succeed.
3: It's the same. So on a macro level, the fundamentals are the same as in micro level. So if I want to succeed with machine learning on the micro level in one company, have a burning problem first. That's, that's kind of Model motto. And if I take that now, you're saying, well, isn't that, doesn't that apply on a macro level as well?
4: Yeah, but I think the challenge is, I mean, if you're a small startup or if you're a Nordic retailer, you're not striving to have like world domination. I mean, that's not why you're why are you doing it. You want it to be more efficient in your market or you want to... So you're not to, afraid so about Amazon coming to Sweden? And yeah, yeah. Stuff. But, but what, what, what I'm saying is that a lot of the players, of course, they compete with Amazon in the local market, mm. but they're not competing on Amazon in the global market. No. And th- th- that's a big difference. So then it's a very hard to challenge them when you come to resources for creating artificial yeah. intelligence or or compute and so on.
2: Can I jump in here because I don't fully agree with this? my okay. awesome. <laughs> a good one. Awesome. I I I think that uh, I mean when you concentrate wealth in these companies to yes. that the d- degree, degree that it's concentrated right now. They have huge purchasing power for yeah. like European companies like DeepMind, for example, right. that, are, that, that are very promising. But, but uh, I think, I mean, we could go and ask for like the founders to, be, to have the integrity not to sell to these tech giants and pursue their own you know, uh, path. But uh, I think in the end, when the world works like it works right now, um, it, it is a problem. Mm.
3: but uh, and you say something like uh, this is a, this is ultimately a democratic problem could you this a right?
2: democratic problem because these guys are gathering huge uh, uh, amounts of data and are able to train uh, machine learning systems that are way more performant than uh, anything else yeah and, and it, it, that creates a huge barrier for startups or anyone to, to kind of compete with them solving their the, the, the business problem they're trying to solve, like search, for example. Um, so, so there is no way. It's just getting harder by the minute to compete with Google, for example. And, and that's, that's a problem, in my opinion. But
3: so, so, bottom line, we think, and I think you said it, that we are doing political investment in this and we're not relying on the market forces alone, it's simply because we see this as a democratic problem. That is good. And we all agree with that, that, you know, I think we, we I think we do at, at least. And you said that was your t- take, but then comes the next question. Okay. Give me 10 billion Euro or hundred billion Euro. What should we do with that money? Okay. The, so the government is keen. We are all keen. We see the democratic problem and we need to create some sort of position and force around this in Europe. And then the core question is, how do we spend that money? Is it on GPUs or something else? Is it to foster a, a lean startup or sort of startup community? Or what do we do in order to combat that? Super simple question.
1: So just get on the politicians here now. Uh, what sh- should we do? we can answer. I have no idea.
3: <laughs> Goran, the producer has been quiet. He doesn't have a mic. He doesn't have a mic. He gave away his mic. I love it.
2: I have 10 billion euros what should you do with well to, 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 but isn't it, it, to solve the democratic problem it, yes. it's a Some great di- question isn't it It's a very big uh, question. it's a big question it's uh, a big question and it's a very good question but, but uh, I don't know like uh, to be honest uh, it's a what, what do you something. think what do you think Oof.
3: This is an after-after-work question.
1: <laughs> no, but, you know, one thing... I oh, shouldn't really go here, but... One, uh, he does it all the time. Come uh, on, Yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking you know, this can lead to rab- another rabbit hole. and not want to. But, but just to, to say one thing that the EU is doing and spending a huge amount of money on is regulation. And they are putting it on a pedestal saying, you know, we should be the guiding star when it comes to regulating AI.
3: AI for good, is it?
1: And uh, yeah, you, you can think about is that the right way to go? And and they they claim GDPR, for example, was a good success story for you know how <laughs> how well it worked. Um, I'm not so sure. And and right now, you know, we have a new AI Act and and that type of regulation that is proposed, and it's a lot of negotiations right now about you know how that should be formulated. Um, I'm not sure. Have you have you seen this new regulation coming up? Or
2: you're a part of that? You're yeah, been part of that. Yeah, And I, no, I haven't seen that. I, 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 I know like GDPR and PSD2, Mm. uh, and I love PSD. PSD2, GDPR, I think was good, Uh, but I mean, to some degree. But I heard I, another topic coming up here. Okay. I mean, so, some of it, I mean. Like, I, I think you know, like the, the
1: intention something. is no, no like. question that the, the intention of GDPR is great. Yeah. It's the question is the implementation. I would say. Yes, Magnus. I mean,
4: dig. Yes. Uh, what's the name of the myndighet? It's a yes. digitalisering uh, in yes. Sweden or yeah. something. Yeah. They came up with a report was the last year yeah. that they could that AI, just the, the technology that we have today, could create a value of 140. Billion sek every year is yes. maybe not a lot of money. I don't know, it's quite but, a lot, it's quite a quite quite a lot of money. Part of GDPR, and, or GD, no, the GDPR And I, If you look at uh, what you call, utbetalningar, um, like mm. wrong payments from the wealth system is about 15 billion mm. a year. And I believe if the, the government was a private company like uh, Klarna or someone and someone said, like, okay, That's we are paying 15 billion SEAC or we have a potential value of 140 billion a year. I think they would say like, hmm, maybe we should try to, to structure some of those problems and, and uh, go to, yeah. to solve them. Yeah. Of course. I know there's a lot of people doing that. Mm. But uh, I mean, I think that could be a good uh, starting point because there's obviously a value in the public sector. So there, I think it's a lot of, of potential. But but I, I think
3: we don't have time. This is the rabbit hole. You asked me the question, what should we do about, about this instead? And I think we need to invest money, but I, I think it's in, in many ways you need to invest differently than use tech. You need to invest in how do we have, a, how do we, Get the talent into Europe. Fundamentally, number one, we have a brain drain tra- problem. How do we combat that? How do we make talent come into Sweden much more easily? You know, we we, we are missing 70,000 uh, IT workers, they say, uh, number one is uh, one angle. The second angle, I think we have fundamentally a data literacy problem. So if we don't understand to ask the right question or the potential or the, you know, if we don't if we don't connect the $15 billion billion dollar billion sick problem that actually that can be solved with tech, I mean, like, obviously we haven't done that connection yet because then in a normal, uh, tech co- company, you would have been on that as a, you know, you would have been on it for immediately. <clears throat> so, so there are so many different facets of this problem that, you know, it's a little bit like there's not, you know, putting every month, every, everything in GPUs won't help. But to, to put it in, you know, a structured way of, of around talent, around f- fostering, you know, a startup scene, uh, the, I, I, being better at defining the business problems that can be defined by tech and getting a business case behind it and start solving problems. That's how you get the momentum going. I mean, like well,
1: we simply need to scale up uh, moduli. Oh, so moduli! To have them
3: help the whole. All Let of let's Europe moduli then, the world. Yes, that's my answer. That could be good.
1: Perhaps <laughs> a final question, and and this is an even more philosophical one, um, and this is uh, going then to the singularity. Are you afraid about it? Are you concerned that at one point in time, and the question is, uh, at what point in time will there be? A, artificial general intelligence that are surpassing human level intelligence? Should we start with uh, Emil?
0: Sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm a bit afraid of it. I mean, I, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't happen at all. Like, I mean, when it's going to come, that, that's the biggest question. Uh, and like no one can so, answer it.
3: So, so singularity will come it's I, more the, the reason to think it will not come is slimmer than to think it's going to come it's more about where and
1: perhaps we should like right, just define a bit singularity versus artificial general intelligence and human level intelligence because it's all three different things i i would say yes so you know singularity is at some point where agi will go rogue in some way that we can't pull the plug we we lose control of it um think Terminator, but not, <laughs> or think, you know, but simply there will be a point where we will stop having control of the uh, the AI. Another point can be when we have human level intelligence, meaning that we have some system that can be as general as humans can be, um, which we of course don't uh, have today and it's very far from. But the third could be AGI in general. We can be extremely much more intelligent than humans because humans are really stupid, to be frank. <laughs> I mean, we can't even you know, calculate uh, big integers together um, or multiply them. I mean, we are so stupid really to think about it and really narrow actually in a human mind. So there's, there is another thing called AGI that are like super, super high above humans as well. But just to think about you know the point, the first point, which could potentially be that we reach human level intelligence at some point, and and if we just start thinking about that, uh, are are you scared about that point?
0: I mean, it's it's not like I'm laying awake at night uh, <laughs> thinking about it, but I, I think it's it's definitely a possibility, and and um, I think we need to. Of course, I don't think it's going to happen in like five years, um, and. 50 not years, not 10 years I mean 50 years? yeah maybe maybe 50 years mm-hmm. and I, I think that it's probably a good idea to like think about how we should um, you know structure our society if that will happen mm-hmm. um, and you know there's probably gonna be um, uh, y- yeah, we we will definitely need to think about how we uh, as humans fit in that type of society, um, and
1: that's yeah. As someone said, I'm not sure who you know. He said, um, "I welcome the AI overlords." I'm sure, yeah, probably Elon
0: Musk. So. Uh, no, probably not. Probably not. Actually,
1: he's very afraid of it. But
0: yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, mean it's I think it was
1: question. you, Andes. Maybe Magnus. Do you have any thoughts about that? Uh no. <laughs> <laughs> you leave it to AI to to ponder about that. Eric.
2: Well, I, I I tend to think of these things in terms of, you know, the evolution of the, you know, from the big bang to the first uh, life on earth to like, uh, you know, the first mammals to uh, humanity and we are here like and if you've you know, um if you know, like memetics and stuff like that, and, like team memes and so on, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in the fact that we are developing this, while it might be counterproductive towards mm-hmm. our, our own existence. Um, but we are, I mean, and we are doing a lot of things that are counterproductive, and like we were, we kind of, we um, kind of harboring this technological uh, development in general that is so, sometimes um, hard to explain, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to understand why we are doing it because we might be, you know, good enough of just sitting on a beach and having a beer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, you can
1: at the point where we have yeah, but, AGI, you know, but Then you can
2: just do that. Will it happen? Yes, it will happen, I think. Yeah. But when will it happen? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, like Kurzweil said in exactly. a few years yeah. uh, from now, let's see. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, so, uh, but it, it will probably happen in the next uh, 50 years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it happens, I think it's going to be a completely, it's going to be a different type of intelligence that 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 humans yeah. have. So, I'm uh, I'm pretty optimistic. I think that we're going to be able to work with this AGI or. or I think we'll go, we're going to get along fine. I yeah. think they have like different uh, uh, agendas and different. Uh, so one uh, thing we have wants. said on this show a number of times about this is that um,
1: we're not really afraid about AGI when it happens or human level and AI. What we are afraid about is the narrow intelligence that can happen before we have human level intelligence. Meaning that we have autonomous weapons, we have some kind of agent or bot that goes rogue on the stock market or something that uh, takes over in biological warfare or, you know, or or social media and just, you know, completely creates very polarized kind of views and extremist kind of opinions or whatnot. Would you agree with this? It's more dangerous with this kind of narrow intelligence that doesn't have this kind of reasoning or high level reasoning capabilities that that we do have as humans today. And and they just, you know, go for their own goal. They know, you know, I want to kill as many people as possible. Let's just, you know, use our drones to go around and, and kill people
2: the way you frame it definitely yeah. <laughs> <I> mean <laughs> but but I think you have a really good point. Yeah. I think because that's gonna happen a little, lot sooner yes so exactly. so 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 uh, and that's gonna be uh, that they could have all kinds of like destructive impact on the world yeah. so so I, I I think that maybe that even
3: uh, narrow AI going rogue in the financial market is not so unconceivable even as a thriller movie today. Really not,
2: and it has gone. It has happened in a few times, but not. But has
3: but and and the only problem. The only point is that it hasn't gone global impact fully. So if you Mm just take that and then you extrapolate times hundred, that could be serious.
5: Of course, but we uh, have to yeah, we have to end this uh, on a positive note.
1: So okay, should we take one topic that is uh, a challenge for society, like uh, the climate change or the pandemic or? Climate change, perhaps. Um, okay, so so what do you think the best chance of us being able to handle the the climate change that we are seeing today is? Do you think it's Do you think AI will have a substantial impact or importance for being able to handle and be able to solve the the problems we have with climate change today, or do you think it will needs to have other solutions
2: to to make that happen? Okay. Uh, so <laughs> I think the the problem is uh, uh, mostly political. Uh, I <laughs> I can end on a, a kind of funny note. Yeah, <laughs> one of my friends uh, who is a startup founder in, in Stockholm proposed the idea, which I I liked. Uh-huh. To because uh, one of the big problems is obviously that we're consuming a lot of oil, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you have Saudi Arabia that is dependent on selling oil, and you have Russia that is depending on selling gas, and so on. So how? But we can't just stop buying buying oil because then they're just going to sell their oil somewhere else. Why don't we just make plastic from the oil and 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 put it in landfills? Because then you you're taking the oil from ground, the ground, out. so you won't get the uh, the emissions from the oil ever. Run, and if you can make the I plastic. Like uh, if you can make the plastic, you make plastic products, for example. I mean, yeah, don't yeah. need to put in landfills. That
1: doesn't like evaporate into the soil. That
2: doesn't way. cause emissions, right? <laughs> if you can make the plastic in such a way so that it doesn't cause emissions, you can just make it into things that we can use, uh, and then put it in landfills, and then. Uh, Perhaps uh, that they could, will yeah. get their money, they, they, will, they can drive around in the cars in the desert.
1: And Shouldn't that be Elon Musk's next company to simply do that? You know, he had fixed the electric cars, now let's take all the oil and put it in a landfill. And, you know, he solved the environmental
3: problems that we have on Earth.
1: Yeah,
2: I mean, so it's, it,
3: it, so you, so it's, it's the fundamental. This all these stranded assets, right? In oil, yeah. and that's the political problem. Why? Uh, and we we don't get around that, and that's why we don't accelerate. So, it's, if we can solve the stranded assets problem for these poor billionaires, uh, we exactly. could maybe we can, uh, we do, do a little bit
2: better. Continuously <laughs> buy this stuff, and then we can build houses out of it and stuff. I like it. <laughs> awesome. And eventually, it will end up in that I like
1: that's
3: a that's a crazy good idea
1: we have solved on this podcast uh, the future of (laughs) humanity let's get get those only
3: billionaires (laughs) their money so (laughs) we don't get that political blockage
1: good awesome I don't think we can end on a better note um so with that um What's next in your life? What's next in Moduli? Perhaps, uh, Emil, if you would like to start personally or professionally in Moduli, what's going up or coming up sh- shortly?
0: Well, um, personally, it's, you know, continue to uh, to develop as a machine learning engineer. I think it's like super interesting time to be alive in, in the in the world mm-hmm. of AI. And, you know, so, so much, it's hard to keep, you know, track of yeah. For All sure. the new developments. Yeah. So, I mean, excited about that. And, uh, you know, that's a personal goal of mine. Um, then of course, like, uh, continue to evolve ModLive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about a lot, like, how will that look in a, a X number of years? And I mean, I think we are pretty, uh, you know, honest that we, we don't really know, but we know that uh, what we have going on is really, is really good. Mm-hmm. And we want to, you know, expand on that and, and build, uh, build more interesting, machine learning uh, products that, that actually solves uh, my concrete problems. Sounds great.
1: Magnus?
4: Yeah. I believe, I mean, Modelai, we are solving other people's uh, or companies' uh, problems. Uh, but we're also investing in, in startups where we are co-founders and running oh, the, yeah, the machine learning teams, basically. And uh, I mean we're talking about machine learning is advanced stuff putting things in production and so but just to be both a successful consulting company and be successful investor and support startups that's a hard challenge to just do two things and still uh, stay focused uh, so th- that's my focus for the next six months to be better on that oh, yeah.
5: very nice Fine.
3: sounds super exciting interesting
2: Eric. Um, I well I would Talk about the team, making sure that the team is uh you know uh really enjoying their work and uh the fact that we can expand in a sustainable way and uh, make sure that everyone learns and that we have great knowledge sharing internally. I think we
1: we should have brought that up t- that topic. We, we had the knowledge that. we, we yeah. got that oh,
3: yeah. damn it. Yeah.
2: After
1: after great. work. Yes. Huh? Still have some time after this. Cool. Any um, anyone that you would recommend to come on this podcast? Someone that you love to to hear us interrogate on on this podcast?
2: <laughs> I think you should talk to uh, Willem von IJzeren uh, He's the uh, principal at EQT. Oh, EQT. The, yeah, oh, right. e- for Motherbrain, if you know. Yeah, uh, yeah I know Motherbrain. We worked with him a lot, and uh, he's a close friend. He's a great guy. You know, just talk to him. Yeah. If nothing. We
3: we we, t- we said we need uh, some VC. EQT is that VC or is it something else? Am I yeah. confusing it? Yeah.
1: VC. Yeah. But Motherbrain is a company that basically tries to predict what company that's going to sky. Uh, so that's something.
3: that's VC and M- um, IAI. AI for VC. <laughs> uh, that's that's the combination <laughs> yeah. for this podcast, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a great company. Well, any other suggestions from Magnus or Emil? Uh, you know? And it should be someone that uh, hopefully can come physically to Stockholm as well.
0: I can't, I mean, there's probably a ton of them, but I can't uh, one to mind.
5: Any cool
3: customers, Magnus, we should talk to? You're doing some cool stuff with some customers that we should have here. That's a leading question, by the way.
4: I think usually they don't want to talk so much, but uh, <laughs> I believe it would be really interesting to hear someone from uh, the governmental sector, because uh, I know there are some people doing amazing stuff out there. And even if I'm saying, oh, why is uh, no one doing something about that? I know there's a lot of people doing a lot of things. So maybe one of those. They're maybe not showing up so often in the tech scene, but I know there's some amazing people. Some mm. specific parts. I think uh, Skatteverket is yeah. uh, not the most sexy organization, but maybe, they're but uh, cool they're doing some cool stuff, stuff. It's and it's It's one of the
5: most impressive, we I have think, the same uh, understanding, authorities
1: yeah. that we have in Sweden. So, yeah. When machine learning AI, they are quite impressive. For sure. Awesome. Let's uh, do the after-after work. But thank you very much, Erik, Magnus, and Emil. It's been a true pleasure to to have you here. And uh, as usual, we, we missed so many topics that we could have speak- spoken about, but... Um, yeah, uh, I love the discussion. So thank you very much for that. And uh, best of luck with future work with Moduli. Thank, thank you. you.
5: Thank, thank you, talk. guys. It's so much fun. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.